This week on Invasion of the Podcast, Spider-Man is now really far from home. Does Glow Season 3 still shine in its new Vegas setting? And I find out if Paul can build the ultimate war, I mean, wrestler. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of Earth, attention. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion the Podcast, where I try to take over the world one listener at a time. I'm Paul, and on my left, as always, Steve. Hello, everyone. And uh, thanks again to Ash Crowland for coming on talking about his novella, Birthday Girl. Last week, it was a fun conversation. All technical issues aside, it was fun talking to him. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe you guys checked out his stuff. If so, you know, cool. Uh, but we had a good, fun talk with him. And just got to start this off. Uh, I need two, th- well, two things. One, Steve, do you have a cute puppy story for me? Because I need a good puppy story. Uh, I can say that this weekend I was at the uh, Haunted Garage sale. Oh, okay, well, and, that's a good uh, pivot. My wife brought uh, Bosco to the actual Haunted Garage sale, and he was a big hit. Uh, I wish I'd had him at the table the entire time because I probably would have sold more stuff that way. Say, how many how many comics did he sell personally? <laughs> he didn't sell any comics, but boy, oh boy, did everybody love him when he showed up. Um. It was uh, it was funny though because my table was inside and there wasn't air conditioning, but it was there were at least ceiling fans and it was wasn't too bad. Okay, but again that day was like super humid, so like he showed up and he was just like, I- I'm done now. Like he got there and he just laid down. Uh, but he he got a lot of uh, a, a lot of pets, uh, a lot of uh, you know, oh, what a cute puppy, and people taking pictures with him like he was you know some sort of celebrity. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I but mean. what's interesting is is uh, last night um, there was a uh, I, I don't know if, have you ever been to a Crushers game? I, I know what you're talking about. No, I've not been. To, okay. like, that's that's the independent um, baseball, baseball team. team like out near your way though, like far west side. Yeah, I, I mean know. it's it's only like. I don't know, maybe 10 minutes away from my house. Long story short, uh, they had to like a bring your dog to the park game last night. So uh, my wife, uh, my in-laws brought their dog, and then we took Bruce and Bosco. And uh, they were both, again, like Bosco, I think by the end of the night, like we had to carry him out because he was just so <laughs> tired. But, you know, people see puppies, and they're just like, oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, Bruce... For some reason, I don't know if he was being protective of of his brother, but like he's never really been somebody who like barks at other dogs. But like every time he saw another dog, and he's not tough at all. It's not like, <laughs> oh, he's a real killer that one. You know, he's the sweetest dog ever. But you know, he would try and bark at him and you know uh, puff out his chest. But other, you know, once the dog would actually come up to him, like. He would just sniff them and be fine. But for every I mean, like fifteen it, minutes, he'd see another dog. It's and the then same just... thing I do at comic conventions where I see someone else dressed up, and I just I try to put my arms out as wide as I can, and <laughs> becomes as big as a threat. And then they come up, and I'm like, I, "You're cool. I guess we have same interests." And then we're fine. I smell their butt, and we move on. It's fine. Uh, you know. A good tip for folks going to Comic Con: yeah. if you dress up, yeah. look for Paul. Yeah, and make sure you have a clean butt. That's, that's <laughs> the two things there. 
So not really a cute story, just a, a very tired pup that he's gotten out and he's met his public and he's very popular right now. Well, so. and you've told me, and this was, I know we talked about this before, like when we're not recording that, uh, your, your wife's goal is to get him like acclimated to people. Yeah. So this is like, well, that's the way to do it. You know? She'd read somewhere online that within the first 10 days he should meet like a hundred people. Um, I don't know where she got that fact from. Like she hits me up with all these types of things all the time, and I'm like, "All right, it sounds accurate. I don't know." I brush your teeth twice a day. Like, nah, I don't know about the science of that. Right. Know, yeah. <laughs> so uh, he's met, you know, more than his quota, and he's he's real good with people so far. So good. hopefully that stays the same because he's going to get a lot bigger. <laughs> he is going to yeah. get a lot bigger. Yeah. yeah. So. All right, well that's good. Uh, so, um, so the but the the haunted garage sale like that. Yeah, like, haunted garage sale. Haunted garage sale went well. Um, I think the show itself had a lot of diverse, different people there uh, as far as like what was there, because you, when you go to a convention, it's either celebrities, comics, movies, um, and art. And for this, like there were a lot of prop builders. There were a lot of people selling uh, just different knickknacks decorative stuff there was a bake sale so there was all this like horror themed food there were um there was a hearse show um so uh there was a contest to pick like what was the coolest hearse there was uh three few three different food trucks there it was just a really cool setting and that there sounds were, like a really fun time there yeah. was a lot of different uh vendors there and what was nice too was is a uh, both a friend of the show, Jeff Ritchie, stopped yeah. by my table. That's some foreshadowing. <laughs> yes. And uh, uh, another friend of the show, uh, El Goro, stopped by my table. So had some... He did, did he do like an elbow smash, like a drop right into the table? <laughs> he like, did not. <laughs> like it's the one edge of the table and all your stuff just flip up in the air. He did, it. however, hit me over the back with a, uh, a folding chair. So Okay, well, good. I mean, you got you to... Gotta... <laughs> got to keep that i mean that's just thematically appropriate for the show we're about to talk about and just you know you got to have that that's, yeah that's right. we, we had a, a very long discussion about uh uh region free players uh i think my desire to own the fly box set that shout factory is going to be putting out and something else but um yeah it was nice it was uh, everybody was great i was really happy to see those guys and uh it was a good time so i i love that i have my region free player um <laughs> so bad i've not i've not sit down and watched a full movie on it i just made sure it worked and i'm like i have it like, <laughs> <laughs> um like because I, I have that wonderful arrow release of the thing and with, yeah. with certain people that we know a commentary that i've not gotten to uh and some other region free movies that i'm like this will be great and it's just my biggest thing is that i can't what if i want to watch those movies i can't do it with headphones on because the way this my system set up so i it has to be like optimal like time day no yeah. cats around uh no people that i love that i'm married to that insist upon having some form of light source on like there's you know, it has to be optimal. Like it's like it's like like a, like a blood moon. You're like, oh, it's movie watching time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think she got the one we have for like maybe like under two hundred bucks. It was like pretty good price. So yeah, yeah consider it. You know, I mean, um, I know that Arrow is putting out so much great stuff, and especially special features because I'm a sucker for special features. Yeah. Like, I get so annoyed when I see a Blu-ray and it's like one. You know, oh, there's an eight minute outtakes reel and that's it. Or yeah, D D Disney's getting a little a little skimpy with some of their features because you know yeah. they're just waiting sitting on well we're going to talk about Disney a second too I like that we're just foreshadowing everything that's coming up sure but, 
Um, yeah, so if, if people weren't familiar what we're talking about, a region-free means that uh, like the, the Blu-rays and, and DVDs we watch here in North America are like region B, and then like I, I want to- they're region A, aren't something they? Something like A, maybe, and then there's three regions. I guess it's really it's like, not really a like, big like difference. like Europe and then like South America or no, Asia, something. It just, clearly I know geography, but there's three regions, and generally uh, movies are produced for a specific region. Uh, so, and players are, are built, well, actually the movies aren't like, well, the movies can be played, they can make them where they're region free, uh, meaning that they can be played anywhere, but you have to have a particular player and all players, um, generally could be region free, but the software that the companies put in them kind of like lock them down by region. So there's some, I honestly uh, feel like Blu-ray should all just be region free. I agree with that. Because it's. It's just there's, there's weird licensing about is... like movie distributions. That's why it's all there. But so a region free player, it's actually like an aftermarket thing that you buy that someone takes a player and they you know they actually you know like affix it to where you can do that. So it's cool to have. It's just you know because I ended up buying movies at the exchange. I'm like this is cool. And I'm like I can't play this. So I eventually yeah. had to to get one. So um, but yeah, you should get one. Um, it's cool. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. Um, maybe I, I feel like uh, I have so many movies right now that I still own that I haven't watched yet. So maybe before I start going out and uh, picking up releases from Arrow and other uh, boutique labels, maybe I should actually watch the movies I own. No, first. I mean, I, how much? <laughs> we're we're at a point in society that like I think I think almost all of us own media that we want to get to but we never will and yeah. it's like it's always going to be that like yeah i should probably no nah, i'm good like i so so yeah um so the second thing i wanted to start off before we talk about some of the stuff we watch this weekend because as we do is that i'm a heretic steve what am i drinking right now you are drinking pumpkin yeah i am and it's a it's oh a, it's what, a, what what's the date oh it's august 22nd august 22nd not not july 29th you know so at least I you know, but here's the secret. I've been drinking this before this date, and I know, I know, it's still summer, but this is this beer tastes wonderful. So I'm a heretic, not a heretic. Uh, that's a heretic. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a her- uh, yeah. This uh, no, I'm uh, I'm a hypocrite and a heretic. Uh, all, all all I am all the ticks. Um, so I just wanted to make sure that people can call me out appropriately for me, me drinking a pump- pumpkin flavored thing before September. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought maybe we just turned you. Maybe you were like all in now. <laughs> no, like I think I posted on Facebook a few days ago that I saw an article about what to do with leftover Thanksgiving like things, and I'm <laughs> like, did. oh, look at that. And then today, as I was leaving the supermarket, they already have those large bins of the scented pine cones that smell like Christmas. Okay, out, and I'm like, what? Well, is- Michaels already has some Christmas decorations out. I, I yeah. think I think like places like Michaels that are always like they always do like the you know the hobby stuff. Yeah, they're always like at least three months like in front of the next holiday because I think people want to make that yeah. stuff. But like a supermarket shouldn't have Christmas pine cones available in August. Like they're not going to hold their smell. I don't think. Like, just, like what? I don't know. Maybe that's a test. We should we should go buy a, a, oh, a holiday pine cone now. That would make my wife and as we'll happy sniff as it could be. And just, we'll sniff in December. Yeah, we'll do like that prolonged like sniff <laughs> test. Like every episode, like still smells like Christmas. You know, whatever. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'm I am now a heretic, as I just said, drinking pumpkin. So, uh, yeah, uh, the stuff we watched over the weekends. I know that's some, something we tend to do here because uh, we have our weekends. I finally did get to go out and watch once upon a time in hollywood the Tarantino oh, yeah. film. what'd you think i liked it it's good um 
it is sprawling like and that and people will be like well it's tarantino so yes it's like a th- three-hour movie and i'm not saying it takes its time it just it is what it is like uh and it is a love letter to that time of filmmaking in hollywood in the 60s uh dicaprio is really good at it that should be no surprise brad pitt's really good at it that should be no surprise too um but it, it does the thing with like where Tarantino likes to do like like these weird like not weird but like vignettes of like uh, past moments like there's there's the you see in the trailer that uh, bit where Bruce Lee's kind of fighting against Brad Pitt's character they go into the they go into more of like a flashback of him thinking about it for a second and it shows the the entire sequence of what happens and it's pretty great um, and so it, it 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 doesn't add anything to the movie story it gives you more definition of brad pitt's character um and it doesn't form that he's a stuntman and is and can be very physical so that's i guess that helps too but tarantino was not afraid to just like hit the brakes and be like we're going to go this way for a little bit before we come back to what's going on uh i think it's his most accessible accessible film that he's made in a long time so like if people are on the fence about watching a tarantino film you could watch this one and not feel like you're lost like not that i'm saying that his films lose people but I know his narrative structure probably would challenge some people that may not know what he does. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. And also, a history is very loose uh, for him. So because you think you know what's going on, you really don't know what's going on. So when he couches it in like the 60s, like you think it's going to go a certain way and it doesn't go that way. So so it doesn't go into the 70s? No, it does not go into the 70s. But did you see Inglourious Bastards? So I have... N- Never seen, seen a Tarantino film. Tarantino. No, I haven't seen a Tarantino film since *Inglorious Bastards*. That was the last one I saw. But so you've seen that though. Yeah, yeah. So, and I, I will say this: uh, for the way that Tarantino writes dialogue and how fast dialogue goes in his films, I was very relieved that I did not see that movie in the theater. Because had I, I would have been super pissed because <laughs> I could not keep up with the subtitles and I kept having to rewind. Oh wow! So. Um, I don't know that I had a point to that, but no. I'm just saying that I, that's the last one of his. I've so seen. the way Hitler goes out in that film is not historically correct, and no, it, but it's no. very satisfying. I mean, it, it's a much better ending. Yeah, don't I, get me of wrong. Of course it is, but it, that's like you know Tarantino's like you know he's making a genre film with like I'm going to tell my the story I want regardless if history's doing this or not. Yeah, same thing happens with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where it's like oh, you know it, it it's. It's probably very boring to tell a story everybody knows, especially when a film with the title Once Upon a Time gives it almost like a fairy tale type setting. And I know it's also a nod towards like uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, uh, like um, Once Upon a Time in the Revolution, which was another uh, Sergio Leone movie that was called uh, Duck You Sucker later in some certain markets. And then he also did Once, Time, Once Upon a Time in um, America. So I'm sure it's an homage to that. And there's there's all other films that have used that kind of name that are more of like a big character study and more of like a longer uh, movie that is kind of just like I don't know like I said sprawl is the only way I can describe it but that's not a negative Mm -hmm. and I like the film a great deal and the soundtrack is just it just Tarantino knows his music and when to pick things so yeah it was a lot of fun there's a lot more comedy in it too than I was expecting so it was fun my relationship with Tarantino is complicated. Um, at least that's what our Facebook status says. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but when it comes to his films, I feel... I hate to put it this way, but I feel like there was a point where it just became Tarantino was never wrong. Um, or at least that seemed to be the assertion. N- not never wrong. What's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, his, his films... 
I felt like people, people couldn't were, approach them with criticism because it's like he's kind of you know it's Tarantino, right, yeah. right, and like there was also this point where some people would would take up a side in the sense of like. You know, you, you're a bad movie fan if you don't see it, or I don't know. There was something about it. I don't like being told that I have to see something, or that I, I guess I don't know how to put it. Uh, almost like being told like this is cool, and if you don't like this, you're not cool. And I think I think that since Tarantino has a lot of um, mainstream appeal, and I think this was actually like his, his best opening for a film of his. I think that for and we talk about this a lot on the show and, and maybe this is being a bit, you know, like unintentionally judgmental. I mean, I am a heretic. That's, that's going to be the theme through all tonight. Sure. Uh, is that, um, that might be like the most avant-garde cinema. Some people see, and it's like, and it's going to set their world on fire because it's something different. And they'll be like, this deal. You, know, you have to see this type of thing. And it's like, and they're excited about that, but then when they realize that like Tarantino is a masterful filmmaker, and he's like, I love his dialogue, like everything you're saying, um, but he he builds his films on the shoulders of so much more. Mm-hmm. Like, <clears throat> I'll give you an example. In What's Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, Sharon Tate, uh, which is played by um, Margot Robbie. Yeah, that's it. That's her name. Uh, you know. Uh, Harley Quinn herself, um, she's walking through the lobby of the theater, because you see in the trailer she goes to watch her own film. Uh, but as she's walking through the lobby, there's a really large display for another film called The Mercenary, which is a Franco Nero film. Yes. Uh, but it's, a, it's, it's a Western with comedy like tinges, but it's an Italian Western. And it's like, you know, I know it because I've seen the film and I like it, but people watching the movie like would just be like oh it's a lobby card for something or whatever mm-hmm. right but i saw that i got excited because there's this whole other theme of the film of um dicaprio's character being now like he was a leading man but now he's just being cast as the villain in all these different western tv shows and he's fighting like everyone's telling him like you need to go to italy and start making westerns he's like i'm not making no italian films so you see this <laughs> stuff kind of like leech into the film on purpose yeah. of like this is where we're at with the times and it made me excited to see that and, it, and i popped when i saw the mercenary poster but it's because you could tell that tarantino likes the mercenary you know and it's also historically accurate to the time when that movie was released mm-hmm. so I, I don't know if somebody would see Once Upon a Time in the Hollywood and be like, what's that poster? I got to see that movie. But mm-hmm. Tarantino's putting his influences right out there, you know, for everybody to see. And he, even at one point, they name dropped Sergio Carbucci, uh, which is the director of the original Django film. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he did Django Unchained. So it's like he's giving everybody, like, he's he, he, he puts his influences, like, on his sleeve. Like, he just puts it out there for everybody just to, to see. And, and it rewards them if they go find them. But I think what you're saying is that like people see that and it's like that is the cool that's that's cool and they want every I don't know like I think that's where we're at with that though and it's unfortunate in the sense that I'm sure if I saw Django I'm sure if I saw Hateful Eight and I'm not ruling out ever sitting down and watching them I'm sure if I sat down and watched uh, I just forgot the title of the movie we're discussing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood I almost said A Fistful of Hollywood I don't know why (laughs) yes Um, that is the title I want now Brad Pitt in A Fistful of Hollywood. <laughs> uh, but when it comes to... And then the sequel for A Few Hollywoods More. <laughs> when it comes to Tarantino's films, I'm sure if I watched them, I'd enjoy them. I, I enjoyed Tarantino's work. They're just, there became this thing, and I don't know... It, I'm sure it's just me perceiving it that way. But I have, I have a, a strong resistance to being told that... And it's not even that 
because I I eat all kind I eat I <laughs> consume all kinds of junk food cinema. So it's not like I'm taking some sort of high art position on it either. It's just sometimes I feel like if somebody's telling me something is so good or that I need to watch it, it will bring out something in me that will be like, nah, I don't need to watch that. And yeah, I mean, we've all been burned with that. Like, um, everyone's like, "This is like my favorite movie." You're like, "This is your favorite movie?" Like, you know, like that kind of thing, right? Yeah. Um, so the good news is, is one you should see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. No, uh, you, if you want to, great. Um, I'm telling Steve. I mean, you guys could see it. It's cool. Uh, but Steve's going to tell me I'm wrong because he doesn't want to watch it. No, uh, there is what they what they put out on Netflix somewhat recently. It's called. It's like an extended cut of The Hateful Eight, yeah. and it's episodic. It's like there's like four episodes of it, so the movie's cut up a little bit. So you could, I would recommend maybe checking that out because mm-hmm. then, like you know, if you're not feeling it, you're not feeling it. But then you could kind of put it like if the movie. I'm sure that the the episodes just kind of stop because there's really no. It's a film broken up into four parts as opposed to like an actual episode, but. I think that might be more to your liking because you can kind of process and be like, you know what, I like this. I'm in the mood for this now. And that way, as opposed to committing to like a three-hour movie, which I know we binge everything. I'm like, I binged all of Glow season three in one day. I wasn't planning on it; it just happened, which is why binges happen. Yeah, but that might be more approachable to you. Um, I don't know. I, I think I think you should check out. I don't think it has anything to do with the length of the film or the format of the film. Uh, I think it just happens to do with my perception of the way Tarantino is viewed perhaps in the pop culture and it's it's unfortunate because you know I'm sure there's I'm, I'm sure there's probably a lot I would love in those films and I I'm not ruling out ever sitting them down and watching them just for whatever reason it's it's I guess also when I think about it like the film of his that I liked the least was probably Death Proof um but which is weird because that's like the most like like it should be on your wheelhouse because it's like yeah. the, the, like a genre. I, like I love the last half of that movie. If you cut out all the stuff at the beginning, well, not even the beginning because the 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 bar scene's pretty great with uh, um, Kurt Russell, Russell yeah. and uh, I want to call her Cherry because that's what her name is in um, uh, Planet Terror. I uh, yeah. Um, oh, Rose McGowan. Rose McGowan. Yeah. Thank you. You know, I I love their interactions. I love the turn that happens when she gets in the car. All that stuff's great, uh, but I would have cut like a half hour out of that. And I, if I could have had a longer cut of Planet Terror, I would have taken it. So I also realize that I'm going against the norm on that because most people prefer Death Proof to Planet Terror. It's, it's funny. When I saw Grindhouse in the theater, um, I had more fun with Planet Terror, and I was mm-hmm. kind of like just like, eh, about Death Proof. But over time, like I still like Planet Terror, but it's like my appreciation for Death Proof has went up. Um, and yeah, that, I guess that's a whole other discussion. But Once Upon a Hollywood, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was, was a great film, and I had a good theater viewing experience. I wasn't expecting the mom with three kids to come in to a Tarantino film, so thankfully that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, but I feel like these kind of films and and is like this is why you go to the movies. Like, I mean, you, you have the over the top genre stuff too, that we absolutely love, but sometimes it's just kind of good to get like that steak and potatoes, like just to get in and have that nice, like, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. If you, there, there is some immediate and sudden violence in this film that is just like amazing. Like, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's, I feel these films are a little different than the stuff I normally go seek out in the theater. So right. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Okay. Um, so yeah, uh, that, that was for a movie that's three hours long. I think our, I think our conversation was appropriately for that. Um, I ended up also watching a Western from the seventies called my name is nobody. 
um, that I really thought I was going to like a lot more than I did because it has a lot of ingredients that makes me love Westerns from the, like that time. But I just started getting annoyed as the movie went on because any movie that uses a gag of speeding up the camera to like show someone drawing a gun, like it's almost like a Keystone Cops, like fast. Mm-hmm. I'm like this is this is not comedy for me. Like, <laughs> and it, it made it a point to do it over and over again to show you that it's a joke and not just a stylistic choice. But it had like Terrence Hill, who I've I've liked a great deal in the, the what I've seen him in. I had um oh um Hen- Henry Fonda. Because uh, I know Peter Fonda just passed away, mm-hmm. so it was his dad, I think, right? Um, yeah, he was in it. He was good. It's just, and this is another movie. It's like almost three. It's like two and a half hours, and it has some good moments. And it's like, but I was just frustrated. I think I watched that the night before going to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So I was like, this is how you do a three-hour movie that keeps me interested, not this. So right. I was, so I was a little frustrated with that. Um, I just want to mention because now I keep watching westerns, uh, and I ended up watching. Have you seen? Um, uh, the director uh <laughs> uh shoot this this blanking on me now it's terrible uh romero george romero jesus christ have you seen his film night riders yes it's it's been a while ryan picked it up uh oof, i want to say somewhere like the mid 2000s on vhs and i had not i'd not heard of it at that time um and he's like, have you ever heard of this movie? I'm like, no. I'm like, this cover's amazing though, and it's Ed got Harris, Ed Harris in Ed it. Ed Harris in a suit of medieval armor on top of a motorcycle. Yeah, and, and it the, says Camel has a state of mind. It's a, a cool poster. Yeah, there's a, a line in there about uh, he's he's angry and he says I'm fighting the dragon. So yeah. we used to do that line like all the time. Nice. Um, but uh, it's been a while since I've watched it. And it is. I will admit, it is a very slow movie. <laughs> it's two and a half hours long. Um, <laughs> And one of the bits of IMDb, like the trivia said that there was like their first initial cut of that film was 17 hours long. I'm like, that can't be real. But then I'm like, it could be like, you know, I want him to be like, okay, what do you guys think we should cut out? And they're like, I don't know. I think we got some room here. Um, it was my first time watching that film because mm. it's one of those ones that's kind of always been like, I've, I've known the concept of it. I'm like, this is going to be a weird film. And it's actually not that weird. It's like, like heartfelt once you kind of get put once you push past like about two thirds of the film, then the heart really starts coming into it. Um, it's for people that don't know, it's a film that was like, what was it? Like 81. Ed Harris is this guy who leads basically like, imagine like a traveling Renaissance fair, but with like knights that do jousting things, but with motorcycles. And he kind of uses it as his own little kingdom and it's a way of life for him. So they make enough money just to move to the next spot because it's the world that they want to live in. Uh, other people that are traveling with them start to kind of view it as like an enterprise in the sense of like, we're not making enough money. Uh, there's some challenges for leadership, which was from um, uh, Tom Savini. Tom Savini. Why, I just watched this movie. Why, why are all the people like falling out of my head? And so it becomes like this power struggle and also this argument of like, are we doing this because of what is what we love or do we view it as like a job type of thing? And mm. um, I'm not saying that Romero, it's, it's I, I, there's a lot of his movies that I like a great deal. I, I and I'm going to get th- stones thrown at me. I don't think he's always the best director. I think he always swings for some interesting ideas and is willing to go places. I just don't know if if the the movies are always like. I just don't know if they're always um, portrayed the best way. And maybe that's not the right way to say that. Like like you said, that movie's a little slow. There, you you have motorcycle jousting. How is that movie slow? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. but it is. You yeah. know, like. Um, 
I, I mean, the ending of that movie is actually like a lot more of a sucker punch than you're expecting. But it's like I even like I I watched it and my wife came in and saw I was watching the trailer afters because uh, the DVD I put in didn't actually go to a menu screen and start playing the movie and I'm like oh is this how how low budget this is that there's not even like a menu and then it shows the menu after the movie I'm like okay so I was watching the trailer and she my wife comes in and looks at it and she's like well, that looks interesting and I was like look at the poster she's like we should own that. Like she never even watched the movie. And I'm like, I mean, if we want to own a poster of Ed Harris on like a motorcycle and suit of armor with like a mace, I'm okay with that. You know, right. so that may happen. <laughs> I know it was a weird movie, but like it could only exist at that time. Yeah. You know, like I don't feel like that's something that you could, cause there's no irony to it. Like, right. and it's just genuine. It's very earnest. Yeah. yeah. So that's it. I saw a sprawling Tarantino film, a sprawling Western and a sprawling, medieval motorcycle movie. I watched a lot of long movies this weekend. Yeah, it's still a very interesting... I was going to say palette, but n- that's not the correct term. It's still a very interesting like run of films to watch. You know? Yeah, uh, so I mean, I just... I don't know. Just, I just, I, I've been making it a point more recently to check out things I've never seen, mm-hmm. um, just because... I could watch Aliens on a Loop, you know, and I love that movie, but there's probably, like, how how am I, I don't think I'm doing myself any favors by not check, trying to watch different things, because how are you going to know you love something until you watch it, you right. know, so, yeah, so I've been trying at least, like, once a weekend to to, to watch something I've never seen before. Yeah, so, that's yeah. that's cool. Yeah. And, I mean, speaking of uh, watching films that I've never seen before or that you've never seen before, um, well, I should say me, because we're talking about me, it, but... And this may come as a shock after me talking about how I hadn't seen Tarantino's last films and talking about how I uh, absorb uh, both, you know, junk food cinema and, you know, things that are more culturally, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, lauded, I suppose. Uh, There is a new version of Jacob's Ladder coming out. Uh, I've read reviews of this. Yeah. So my wife was watching the trailer and I was like, you know what? I don't think I've ever seen Jacob's Ladder. I'm like, I feel like it's a movie I watched in high school, but I don't have memories of it. And I'm like, I think I would remember the movie if I watched it. I remember the trailer, but like, it's one of those ones that's just kind of vaguely set in my brain is Mm -hmm. like, I think I saw it. Maybe I didn't. I know I have seen it, but it was so long ago that I don't remember anything about it. So we sat down and watched it. And I got to say, for a movie that's not universally beloved i really dug the movie i think it's it's what you were talking about earlier about you know something that that feels like a movie this movie feels very it's got a lot of scope to it like there's parts of it that take place in vietnam there are parts that take place in you know new york and it's a grimy 70s new york and it's it's both ugly and beautiful at the same time and the way it's filmed is so interesting and there are all these sort of subliminal images of demons within the story that they're so well done they're not even actual demons in the sense that like you don't see them all that well you don't Hmm. you know like there'll be a bum sleeping and all you'll see is like a tail come out and then it's gone Hmm. you know uh, that kind of thing Um, but I know that the film poses a sort of challenge for people in the sense that it's not a clear narrative. Uh, People have many theories as to what actually happens in the film. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was just kind of blown away with it. I was kind of 
it was one of those things. This going back to my Tarantino uh, discussion, it was one of those movies that I was like, "Damn it, I sh-, you know, I wish I would have watched this sooner." At the same time, maybe had I seen it in high school, maybe I wouldn't have been able to appreciate it the way I am. I was able to now. Yeah, because so, I know when I saw it, I was definitely a lot younger, and I treated it as like like just watching like a horror film mm-hmm. and not probably getting any of the subtext at all. So I mean, I'll go even you know. For instance, the Night of the the Living Dead remake that Tom Savini made in the early 90s. Oh, you mean from Night Riders? Yes. (laughs) The the hunk of man meat that was splayed out on the display on the sign for Night Riders. I almost took a screenshot of that just to be like, ladies. (laughs) But I watched that film in high school and I remember being disappointed with it and I revisited it like, I don't know, 15, 20 years later. Uh, And now I... I, admittedly, I don't love it as much as the original, but like I still think that it's a really well done remake. You have performances in that film from like Tony Todd, um, uh, Tony, uh, not t- uh, Tom Tolles. Um, oh, there's somebody else I'm leaving out, but like that movie, I, I I appreciate so much more as an adult. So maybe had I seen Jacob's Ladder in my younger years. I might not have appreciated it the way I did now, so maybe it's not such a bad thing. I, didn't I, I should revisit that, and then I should also revisit uh, Serpent in the Rainbow. That feels like that might be a good oddly movie. enough. I just watched that like a couple weeks ago, and that movie. Do you feel like those would be two like complimentary films to like kind of watch to not th- make you want to sleep and be like, what just happened? <laughs> I will say they're you know because they're they're not action oriented or you know they're not. Uh, I mean, there's a level of suspense, but they're more psychological mm-hmm. than. Uh, say if you were to do like a marathon or a double feature of like you know a Friday Thirteenth, where like you can keep up that momentum. Yeah, I don't know that watching them back to back is going to be the most. Just take an edible and just watch <laughs> them both, and then you know. Yeah. Uh, but the other things that I watched this weekend, I watched two documentaries, uh, and what I want to say about them is is that what I th- thought was both interesting and a little bothersome about both of them was that. At midpoints on both documentaries, the documentaries themselves become about the documentary filmmakers as opposed hmm. to the subjects that they're supposed to be filming. Okay. And it, it it's not like it's by choice for either of them, but um, the first one, I believe, is called Jack of All Trades. It's about oh, the, the, the baseball, baseball cards. cards. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and how that's sort of similar to the, the crash that happened within the comic book industry in the 90s it fell just as hard if not even harder um and there's some poignant stuff in there but that that film turns from being about how did this crash happen what happened to the baseball market uh or the baseball card market what happened to these companies turns into a story about the documentary uh maker and how his father left his family uh when he was young and again i don't have a problem with that subject but i i I kind of felt like I was sold something, and then it, it switched. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I feel like if it's a documentary, you have to stick to your I, subject. I, I agree with that. I think that if, if – I understand that the point of a documentary is to kind of, like, document. Um, but <laughs> there's, a, there's a handful that when they turn like that, that's they're, they're interesting. But, yeah, I feel like – because I see that on Netflix, and the cover art looks like a tops card. Yeah. And – it looks like it's about baseball cards, which, you know, I mean, and it is, but it, I don't know. I guess it's hard to say, like, if that was the story to be told, then tell that story. But can I just maybe make that a separate 
thing. Right. I just want to believe, though, the kid was handed a card with, like, his dad on the front, and he flipped it over, and the stats were, like, all the families he left. And, like... <laughs> that would have been amazing. Like, packs of cigarettes went out to get... <laughs> but um, the, the other documentary... Ex-wives named Darla. <laughs> <laughs> the other documentary that I watched... Instead, instead of, like, uh, men left on plane, it's, like, kids left at home, like... Oh, oh! That should have been the back of the box, but I guess there wasn't even a box. It was on Netflix. But yeah. uh, the other one that I watched was the Amazing Jonathan documentary. I you're gonna say that I haven't watched it yet because I love the Amazing Jonathan, but I know that's supposed to take a turn as well. Yeah, it it takes a turn. So it's fairly early on where it starts becoming apparent that there are multiple documentary crews, and he's not being sort of honest with the people that are doing the documentaries. <laughs> but at the same time, um the documentary filmmaker and i can't blame him for this but he's he's sort of like well how the hell do i make my documentary more interesting than theirs what am i you know what am i going to do that's going to grab the appeal of you know an audience if there are five documentaries on the amazing jonathan who was supposed to die four years ago and didn't well he has like a heart condition he has a heart condition yes um but he does perform but not like the same way he used to right right but at the same time so this was something that was kind of and I don't mean this that uh, it made him less sympathetic, but I do mean that it was surprising to me that this wasn't more of a piece of the documentary. And it is and it isn't. Like, it, during the uh, first half hour of the documentary, we find out that Amazing Jonathan is a drug addict. And you would think somebody with a heart condition might slow their roll, but he's apparently, he's, he's, he does meth every day. Okay. I mean, and, like, I, mean, I kind of feel like, well, there's your documentary. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, but and it, it it's much more complicated than that. But at the same time, I, I when the documentary ended, I was like, wow, I don't really feel feel like I got the story of Amazing Jonathan. I got the 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 story of Amazing Jonathan was supposed to die. Is a, a, a he he calls it speed, but apparently it's essentially just meth. Um, and then the other documentaries show up or documentary crew show up and it becomes about this documentary and trying to f- documentarian trying to find a way to make his documentary stick out or at least be the most truthful and honest so okay. again I, I, I don't mind it but i feel like you know i never really got to actually learn much about um, the amazing jonathan other than you know his wife <laughs> he's a meth head <laughs> well that his wife you know uh, worries every day that she's just going to wake up and he's going to be dead that mm-hmm. he uh is supposed to be dead and uh he is on a numerous amounts of medications and um you know he came out of retirement simply because he thought he'd be done at this point in his life not because you know he he thought he would be dead it wasn't like yeah. you know um so that's about all you get out of it and I don't know. It, it was a, unfortunate. That, that sucks because, I mean, you feel like, you know, you want to learn something. Like, not if you're going to take the time to make that your subject, you want to, you want to, like, you want a deep You would dive. expect yeah. to spend the entire film with that person or at least the people around yeah. him. And, and it, it's, you know, it cuts back and forth between, you know, the, the gentleman making the documentary and the amazing Jonathan. But, uh, I was, I was just disappointed, I guess, is the best way of putting it. Cause I felt like I didn't really get what I, 
thought I was going to get. And that's not always entirely a bad thing. Just in this case, I guess after watching Jack of All Trades, mm -hmm. it was like, oh, wow, two documentaries in yeah. a row that, you know, the subject isn't actually really the subject. And if you look at the advertising for it, it's not like they're playing it up as like one documentary make filmmakers... You Journey know, to struggle. make a documentary. Yeah, no, it, it's all. It's like, oh, the amazing Jonathan. Yeah. He was supposed to die. Da, 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 da. So like, that's the thing that you think you're supposed to get. So, two things. One, my favorite amazing Jonathan joke was at one point he brings somebody on stage and he said to them, "You look like the person that killed my parents." And everybody kind of laughs. And he was like, you know, you know, like he makes the joke about like clean your room, clean your room. And he's like, I put up with that for five years. And he talks basically saying, you look like me because I'm mm -hmm. the one that killed my parents. Like the, <laughs> the way he just said it was great. And then two, I'll recommend another documentary that does that kind of line blur, but it's for the benefit of the person that they're dealing with. It's Widow Bago Man. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about or not. It's Jack Isn't that about the guy who he... I, I, I'm sure I've shown you bits of Jack Rebney where he's doing the the RV promotional thing. Yeah, and like, he is the most eloquent swearer of all time. And so these people went to go. They they basically started out with, like, this is one of those tapes that's been traded amongst like all comedians forever. And it's like we need to track down Jack Rebney, and they find him. And then the whole thing kind of it doesn't take a turn like not a plot twist. It's more like. You know, him just being like, he is Jack Rebney, and how do you deal with this and try to tell his story correctly? Um, it's it's a really good documentary, you know, but the the documentary maker does get involved with it because he's interacting with, with Jack Rebney. Um, but I'd, it's a wonderful documentary, so you should check it out. Yeah, and I, I don't have a problem so much with that. No, but I mean, it, it for gives instance, you, like, you get to know him more. You get to just figure out because at first he, he does this whole like nice thing of like, oh, that was me years ago. Everybody had their fun. And then so the, the filmmaker was like, oh, I guess that we're done now. This guy's well adjusted. And then. Rebney calls him back two weeks later. He's like, yeah, that was all a lie. And he goes on this rant. <laughs> so it becomes this thing of like, okay, well, what's the truth then? Yeah. So I think that brings you closer to figuring out who this person is. And it's a much more rewarding journey as opposed to someone like, did you ever watch the original documentary of catfish? I don't think so. It, they make it very much about them in a hurry and it's very frustrating, you know? So, yeah. To that end, and I realize that we're probably a half hour in, and we haven't even gotten to the news. We're not uh, a half hour in. We're 40 minutes in. Oh, Keep Jesus. it straight. Um, so, uh, with that in mind, you know, and whether you like Michael Moore or hate him, at <coughs> least he's up front. You know what you're getting with a Michael Moore film. Like, you're getting it from his perspective, and he's going to be in the film, and he's going to, whether it be construct the narrative or um, give you what he's documenting, he's very much a big piece of that that film yeah and i i feel like if you're upfront about it and you know what you're getting that's fine i just i felt like it, it felt like both their documentaries kind of fell apart <laughs> and then they were like well let's make it about me yeah so that's that's my thing and then and you find out that the guy that was looking at baseball cards his father was the amazing jonathan well when you get to the end of the saturday night slasher you'll find out that it's actually me okay yeah. Um, inspired by the amazing Jonathan on <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, 
Uh, I like it. That's that's a good twist. I think that'd be great. And then you should actually write about a documentary crew trying to find the slasher. There you then, go. Yeah. And then it'd become another sequel to Behind the Mask. You know. Um, and then they go out in the woods and get lost. Yeah. And I'll run into the Blair Witch, and then I'm getting sued for stealing IP. Well, you don't call it the Blair Witch. You call it like the Tootie Witch or something. Like you pick a different facts of life character to name it after. The Joe Witch. The Joe Witch. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Witch sounds like a knockoff of Man Witch. Like, you know, like, you know, hey, you want some Man Witch? No, we have Joe Witch. Here you go. Um, Which is also one of my favorite Scrubs jokes where JD calls one girl Joe for an entire season. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. Because she's the mean girl. Because she's the mean girl, yeah. So, all right, let's, uh, you know, we're warmed up. Let's just get to some news. everyone actually that's not good news we're gonna do this hooray hooray denied so it's been out for a couple of days now that sony who actually owns the cinematic rights to the spider-man character and the associated characters of the spider-man uh universe i guess like we were talking about villains ancillary characters all of that they had worked out a deal with um with with disney uh back when civil war was coming out to incorporate spider-man into the mcu now um, Disney wanted to change the terms of that and offer like because they wanted to actually start co-producing the films at like 50-50 meaning they'd put their money in too and then they'd share the profits 50-50 Sony said no and they're walking away from the table um, it's weird for us being people that don't have a bajillion dollars arguing about like well these two companies are fighting over a fictional character so you know you know it's how do we put ourselves in the headspace but from a fan standpoint I just I I have not trusted Sony with the handling of the character of Spider-Man on its own. And they've given me a lot of reasons to not trust them. And this is what's happening. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> All right. Next story. No, no. Like, back so like, no, back the, to Jacob's ladder. Yeah, no, no, uh, no. Like, it's... Spider-Man one and two with, you know, the Sam Raimi and, and Tobey Maguire and all that are wonderful films. And then Sony interfered and three happened and it's not that great of a film. And then they waited a few years because the way Sony's deal works out is that they have to have a Spider-Man movie in production or they lose the rights. Then they made the two new amazing Spider-Man films with um, Andrew Garfield. And the first one was okay. The second one wasn't that great. And then eventually they worked out this deal. And so we ended up getting Spider-Man and Civil War, Avengers, in, um, Infinity War, Endgame, uh, Homecoming, and Far From Home. Mm-hmm. And like I think that they've handled, and we've talked about Far From Home at length a, a few episodes ago, I, I, Spider-Man was in a great place. And yeah. so, and, and, and Far From Home was the first Spider-Man movie to make over a billion. Yeah, it was, it was the highest grossing film for Sony ever. Yeah. Like, it beats Skyfall. So why would you walk away from that? Like, I think, I think Sony didn't like the idea that Marvel was like, no, we'll co-produce and we can help with the other stuff. Cause there's a Mobius film, Mobius, Morbius film in production. I just, you know, guys, I can't say words. I'm a heretic. Um, there's a, uh, Craven film supposedly in development. There's a, um, they're doing a film on Wes Craven. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Wes Craven, the hunter. Um, and there's supposed to be a silver sable film in production or, or in, well, in pre-production, so and then a Venom sequel, which they've announced. So Sony was like, they're making this stuff, but I feel like Marvel and Kevin Feige was like, yeah, 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 no, that's great, but we can we just help so you don't like mess it up, yeah. and also you could make a lot of money with our involvement. And Sony's walking away from that. Yeah, I 
I don't know really in <laughs> I, I'm dancing around it. So I was having this discussion with my wife the other night and she sometimes will say things and I try to always be respectful of other people's opinions, particularly my wife's. Uh, but sometimes when I feel like it's something that's so particularly like in my domain, I can't see their point of view, but um, we were talking about it and she's, she's blaming Disney for this. She thinks that Disney's being greedy and they're the one who screwed it up. I think when you offer 50-50, I don't know if that's being greedy. Because I right. think, yeah. The original deal, though, was like Disney was like only making like 5% on, like on the front gross or something. So, yes, they want more money. But I think... So, but her perspective is, she's like, well, they sold the rights, it's their fault. And I'm well, like, well, you're damning... Marvel a- sold the rights, not Disney. Well, technically, you know, and her other point is, is that Marvel's not really Marvel anymore. It's just Disney. So, what does it matter? And... I'm like, okay, I get your point. I understand that they sold the rights like 25, well, actually closer to 30 years ago, um, even though it's only been, well, Spider-Man was 2002, so it's been 17 years since that first Spider-Man movie, which is crazy to think about. Yeah, uh, I feel incredibly, incredibly old now. But when it comes to her perspective, I, I understand what she is trying to say. At the same time, I feel like, He's a Marvel character. He deserves to be in the Marvel universe. And I know that that's proprietary of me to say that and that Sony should have a good heart and work with Disney. But at the same time, it also feels like Sony, who has demonstrated in the past that they don't always have a good grasp of the character or meddle in particular pots that they shouldn't, simply for the hope of making more money hurts the franchise hurts the characters more like i i'm actually still and again i still haven't seen venom but i'm still baffled by how that movie made so much money because i don't know anybody who loved it the best reviews i hear of it is is like it was good if it would have come out in like 1999 yep. <laughs> and i'm like okay well you're not really selling me on nope. it like the movie it's it's okay like that's i know you you always rib me for saying it's fine it was it, it really was it was like oh i like tom hardy and uh there there there's moments there was just like it it's it's almost like you put better clothes on the spawn film in the sense that you could see that there was a good skeleton there and there was some okay moments and you wished for more right. and i feel like maybe it's damning it with like faint praise but it was like you know if, if spawn would have had a better budget and you know i'll admit you know when it came to Far From Home, or no, I'm sorry, not Far From Home, uh, Into the Spider-Verse, you know, the stars aligned and they had the right, you know, crew on that. They yeah, had the I right writers, they had the, the right Spider-verse producers. Because that was the one completely produced by Sony Animation. I don't so know they, how... They, they did get that right, but I guarantee you that they didn't look at it in the same way that they looked at the other Spider-Man yeah. films. So that's my only hope is that maybe is it was it was it phil lord that or is it phil chris lord miller? and chris i thought it was well, both but one of them, them wrote the the screenplay and oversaw things another oh, one's okay. kind of contributed and i know as much as we talked about um the struggles with them directing solo and then being taken off of that which still makes you wonder where they would have taken that movie considering what solo was yeah, yeah i kind of um, want to see that movie yeah now. i almost feel like if you got those guys in the room like overseeing like like the idea of Spider-Man and you still keep uh, John Watts as director and all this and you keep the writing room, maybe they can pull it out. Maybe they can still do something fun. My worry, I'm not worried about the MCU. Everyone's like, well, how is they're going to move forward? It's like, you know, 
considering that like Marvel was able to make you give a shit about Iron Man and Captain America as the general viewing public, whenever their their big heavy hitters were like gone to them, and then they were able to take like lesser knowns and make you love them. Like again, we're still talking about a film series that has a tree that only says four words and a raccoon that wants to steal limbs and shoots guns and everybody loves them. Mm-hmm. Like they're really good at taking like their bench players and elevating them. So I'm not worried that Disney doesn't already have something in their back pocket to go forward and be like, you guys are going to, you're going to love this. Like considering that black Panther was kind of slotted to kind of be in the Spider-Man role in civil war in the sense of being this outside observer and having to pick a side. And it's like, who would have thought black Panther would have been that character to bring in. And that was where the original plan was. It still works in the movie. But my, my point is I think Marvel and Disney are going to be fine, especially now that they have the fantastic four to play with and the X-Men. What I'm worried about is if you're going to do another Tom Holland Spider-Man film, which he's contractually obliged to do one, um, how do you untangle that character without speaking to directly what has happened? Because both villains in those two Spider-Man standalone films are directly results of Tony Stark. Right. And how do you how do you unring the bell of him being an Avenger? How do you unring ring, ring the bell of him working with Shield? How do you unring all that? And make it still, I'm not saying that Tom Holland be capable of still doing Peter Parker and having fun with it and still having a great time and that they still won't. It's just, if you're going to just say this is a different film and set in a different mindset, fine. I'm fine with that. I don't think that the average movie going public is going to accept that. Like if they did like a Craven's Last Hunt storyline standalone with no, like here's your Spider-Man. He has no super suit now because it would be weird to mention that because that's Stark tech. Yeah. You know, like. For them breaking away, does that mean they still get the rights to the story threads? I don't think so. Does that mean that Happy Hogan is no longer involved? Does that mean that, you know, we won't be able to allude to anything else that happened in the entire 19, I'm sorry, 22 movies that happened in the Marvel Universe? Like, the other thing that I think bothers me about this is, is that one of the things that Stan Lee always said about Spider-Man was, is that he was Marvel's Mickey Mouse, like for Disney Marvel or for, for I'm sorry for Disney Mickey Mouse was sort of the icon the character that is that brand mm-hmm. you know and I think that is true of Spider-Man I think that Spider-Man is the character that people you know most associate with Marvel yeah um, I would agree with that you know I don't know that and Darkhawk <laughs> yes it's it's Spider-Man then Darkhawk then Iron Man <laughs> no no Sleepwalker <laughs> then Deathlock I just keep, I'm just gonna keep uh, throwing them all and I realize that these are, are you know billion dollar deals that are you know so far out of my league that for me to sit here and try to talk about them expertly is 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 insane at the same time all I can say is is that I know looking at it from somebody who is considers himself as as a creative person i i feel like that character should be back home where he is and and maybe some people would be like he shouldn't even be at marvel he should have been completely owned by steve ditko fine that's a whole other conversation yeah but that's valid i i still think that it's a poor decision on sony's point sony's part and maybe who knows? Maybe they'll come to their senses in a year from now, and it'll be like the James Gunn thing with Disney, where like suddenly they woke up and were like, you know what? We should back James Gunn. I think them Maybe. making this public is they one of the, either party, whoever put it out there, knows that the world will have an opinion, and I think making it public is what's going to lead to something. 
Like, I don't know. I what don't it's know be. that I've heard too many outside of my wife. I haven't heard too many like uh, positive, uh, you know, positions on it. I guess her hers wasn't positive. It was just so far well, afield from. So the way far, I, I guess think. Stanley's daughter siding with Sony, and then there was an AV Club article that I found where it's like, you know, in a year which Disney is like got everything they wanted, it's kind of interesting to see that they finally can't get the one thing. You know, so mm. it's like, yeah, I know we shouldn't be char- like cheering for the Empire at all, but it's like. At the same time, it's, I'm not it's, thinking it's the, of Marvel as Disney. It's the, I'm it's thinking the last, of Marvel as Marvel. It's the last of the stable that's out there, you yeah. know. And it's like it's the biggest one, in my opinion. Um, but again, maybe they'll find like this going forward. I'm like again, they they already have stuff down. You know, we've seen all the announcements. Um, they're going to be fine. But positioning Peter Parker the way they did at the end of Far From Home, and like not even like he's not he's not the next Tony Stark, but he was going to be the heart of the MCU. That's just it. it it's frustrating, you know. And maybe maybe we'll get some more good Sony produced Spider Man films because they've like again they made two of them that were really great. And End of the Spider Verse is one of my favorite films of just all time, you know. And so who knows? I mean, but what would have been interesting is maybe we would have gotten a third Spider Man movie where you know a good chunk of it. Captain Marvel, Black Panther, you know, Falcon as Captain America, maybe all those characters are involved, you know, and like that's yeah. no longer a possibility well, that, either. That was you know the, what I mean? They like, even that's... talked about bringing in uh, Anthony Mackie as Falcon slash Captain America for the second film, but they felt like it was like they wanted they wanted Peter to be his own hero, you, you know. know? And, so and the fact that you know he's in Marvel's New York, you know, he could have ended up on Bleecker Street. Uh, Bleecker Street at Doctor Strange's at some point he could have it'd you know. be funny if the MCU was just like we should call shh no like, <laughs> like if we don't speak about him like you know he knows what he did you know um, so yeah uh, I figured that you know our opinions would be very similar and like about the same but it's just it's a bummer and I'm hoping it changes so we'll see so yeah all right next story real uh, we'll just get through this real quick because I really don't know how, how how to react to it Matrix 4 has been officially announced with Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss uh, and Lana Wachowski uh, one half of the Wachowskis is supposed to be making Matrix 4 my question is how that's because the, the third one kind of is kind of definitively like I guess they could just be like it's another reality maybe the Matrix movies are their own reality and he's going to wake up in a different battery pod and be mm-hmm. like whoa and that's going to be like, you know, well, I think that, you know, <laughs> we've seen so many movies where they've gotten out of impossible positions and continued storylines where you're like, oh, I guess that works, you know. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I my thing about this is and I realized as somebody who has both said that he still likes The Last Jedi and then spent a year bitching about it. <laughs> I realized this is coming off as completely um I don't know, pot calling the kettle black, but all I could see is is people bitching about this in two years when it comes out. Like, they should have left it alone. Yeah. But you guys hated the second and third one anyway. Like, what? Yeah, what was it? uh, Reloaded and... um Oh, uh, what was the revolutions? Right? Yeah, they're like, they'll be like, they, that was the perfect trilogy. No, it wasn't. No, 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 wasn't because perfect, you guys yeah. bitched about it when yeah. it came out twenty years ago. I, I remember uh, someone I knew wrote a defense of Reloaded because it was like it was like what was it, six months between those films between that and Revolutions, yeah. uh, and they wrote this big defense of like, like you know you may not like this but you don't know what they have planned and it was like this wonderful thing of like being like optimistic. 
and then to be proven wrong at every step of the way. I um, actually liked Reloaded um, simply because uh, I thought it was such a, an interesting swerve from where we thought. I mean, it still goes the same direction as, you know, it's not like it's a completely 180. But, you know, I don't think people were expecting a 20-minute sequence taking place at a rave you know, in, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> in on real Earth, or you know, a lot of things that happen in that. And uh, I will say that I was super annoyed with reloads, a reloaded ending at the time. And I still, I still have a thing about movies that, even if they're being made back to back, and they're you know the next Com- one's complete coming. Complete them. Don't make them. Yeah, yeah, it should still feel like a complete movie. It literally feels like a TV episode where it's like to be continued. Yeah, um, I remember one of the Hunger Games movies did that as well, which was like I think, I, it I think ended, the, and I was like, "Wait, that was it? Really?" The third one has to like because I know they expanded like the last the last book into two films, right? Like I've not seen those, but yeah, you're right. But yeah, the one ends, and it was it literally felt like I'm like it's over, yeah. really. It, not because I was like, oh, I could watch four more hours of this. It was just because I was like, that's your ending point. So. I don't know. I feel like that with them making a four, I, I wish him well. I hope it comes out. I hope people love it. Uh, Keanu Reeves is certainly on a hot hot streak right now, so you can't yeah. really blame you know him for think, wanting to do a four. Do you think they'll get Will Smith and or Sean Connery involved this time around? Because they were both offered these films and they turned them down the first time. Well, I do wonder. Would like, that be great if this is like the thing that brings Sean Connery back <laughs> out? Like, well, did uh, did Morpheus die in three? And I've just forgotten because I, I, I thought it was weird that he wasn't my announced. Admission. I've watched the original Matrix like you know what a dozen times or whatever and I love that movie the ending's great but the ending like it makes Neo so makes him Superman so like how do you knock him down again Yeah. so it's like that first movie felt like they weren't going to make a sequel you know and then, then they're like oh crap now we got to I've only seen Reloaded and Revolutions in the theater, so I told you, okay. like, I, I've not went back to them again. Maybe I should now. Maybe I should give them a little bit more because my feelings aren't going to get hurt. You know, and my apologies to Lawrence Fishburne for forgetting his name and just calling him Morpheus. Larry Fishburne, as he was known in Dream Warriors. Um, <laughs> no, because like I know when I revisited Spider-Man Three. The movie still wasn't great, but it didn't it didn't sting the same way. I was like, oh, this is kind of not a great film, but there's things in it I like, you know, like and it was there was there was still there was things that I could give give appreciation to after being so far removed from it. Maybe these Matrix movies would be that too. And you're right, like Keanu Reeves is the hot hand. Like, if I would have told you like a year ago that with his success of the John Wick films that you're going to get a Bill and Ted sequel and a Matrix sequel, and I've been like, which one do you think is actually going to happen? You would have picked the Matrix versus Bill and yeah. Ted, but we're living in a world now in which we're getting both. But at the same time, I'm far more excited for Bill, Bill and Ted. Ted. I know. <laughs> just, yeah. So every time I see like a little picture of them on set or whatever, I'm like, ee. yeah, it's exciting. So um, yeah, uh, that yeah, that's. Uh, we'll, and it comes out from a year from now, and I hate it. You'll hear about it. No, yes. I'm yeah, we'll be like, you should have left the second movie alone. It was it's a masterpiece. All right, so moving on to the last story here, we'll be real quick. Uh, it, it would not be an episode of Invasion of the Podcast, over 200 so far. I think we should change the name to Invasion of the Longcast. Invasion of the Longcast, yeah. Uh, yeah, no shit. And, um, <laughs> causing people to sleep one listener at a time. Uh, no, so I'll just read the headline and I'll go through the, the bullet points here. Uh, vomiting vultures invade a Florida vacation home. 
Wow. Yeah. That's a nice alliteration there, yeah, there too. Uh, a, a New York couple's luxurious vacation house in Florida has been taken over by dozens of black vultures that are vomiting <laughs> and defecating everywhere. The Palm Beach Post reports that the Casamano family can't even visit their $700,000 home they purchased earlier this year uh, because of this. They said that uh, one of the owners said it describes like a thousand rotting corpses. <laughs> the vultures have destroyed screen enclosures, have overtaken the pool and barbecue. The few times the family's visited, they've had to park in the garage because the birds peck at them with their beaks as opposed to peck at them with what, their their tail feathers? I don't know. Uh, one of the neighbors says she's got it worse because she lives next door to, a, to the person. Like there's a neighbor that's feeding the vultures. There's a neighbor that's feeding the wildlife. Oh my God. And it, so <laughs> um, they said in May, she said vultures tore through her pool enclosure and couldn't figure out how to get out. So imagine 20 vultures trapped, biting each other, and they can bite through bones, she said. They would bang against my windows, running away from a bird that was attacking them. Blood was everywhere. It was vile, vicious, traumatic. And it was Memorial Day, so no company I called would come out to help me. <laughs> We shouldn't make light of this because this is terrible, but it's kind of funny. Um, so they blame one of the neighbors because they keep feeding the wildlife. So um, the, the the one person who got, you know, the, the birds were trapped in her pool enclosure said that she's seen the neighbor give bags of dog food and even a roasted chicken to the vultures. What? Um, neighborhood Association President uh, Gordon Holness, that's, that, that is the name of somebody who was an association president, said <laughs> they've warned the woman who's been feeding the animals, but they're limited in what they can do because vultures are protected by federal law. So they can't tell her to stop feeding them because like they can't actively endanger these vultures wow <laughs> yeah uh so uh they um they said what was it uh it's hard to get a permit to kill black vultures so they just can't do that uh but then one of the one of the people said that even they even put out fake owls trying to scare away the vultures and they said uh the vultures chewed the owls apart and they ripped their heads off oh my god <laughs> So I, I don't have a comment on this. We've talked about like rows of turkeys harassing a town. We've talked yeah. about other animals. This is just another like, the, like it, it would be bad enough if this was happening just because nature. There's yeah. someone actively provoking this. It makes you wonder if either that person is either A, passionate about animals, or B, they they know they could piss off all their neighbors around them. I was going to say, or they really hate their, yeah, their neighbors. Like, like these new neighbors that bought this house, I mean- I don't know what grudge they have against them. Maybe they like the old people that were there. I don't know. But um, like, but still, like, I, I, I feel sympathy because if you purchase property, you should be allowed to go occupy it. This is your $700,000 summer home. I'm guessing you're going to be okay. So here's, you know, speaking of pissing off neighbors. Um, oh, you're going to go start feeding the local birds around your house? No, no. Uh, I just, I think that like, all right, so my wife is of the belief that maybe it's a teenager who did this. I'm of the belief it's just a douchebag. Um, what about a teenage douchebag? Maybe that may, Maybe thing. both, yeah. So our house, um, you know, the backyard is fenced in, obviously, for the dogs. And then there's, you know, the neighbor's backyard, which is divided by the fence, obviously. Well, our dog, Bruce, he loves his ball. And we have this thing called a chuck it. It's just basically like a wand that makes it easier to throw the yeah, ball. Yeah. Um, and it makes it easier to pick up because it's longer, so you can play with them a little bit more. And um, long story short, the occasional ball will go over uh, into the other yard. And I have in the past, like, gone into the other yard, grabbed the ball, thrown it back in. But uh, for whatever reason, the last couple, like, we lost like three balls that were sitting in their yard. Okay, came home the other day, 
And my intent was always like, oh, I'll, I'll jump the fence at some point, go grab the balls, throw them back into our yard. But we, because he loves balls so much, we have a plethora of them. So it's not been like a Pressing issue of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Come home, see if they mowed their lawn, just shreds of orange everywhere. They just <laughs> ran the balls over. Which I'm like, wouldn't you just pick them up and throw them back no, in our yard? That, you that, know that where is the- a passive aggressive thing. Yeah, that's yeah. like the douchiest thing ever, in my opinion. Like, the, the balls, like, aren't hurting anybody like the neighbor kids throw their balls in our or you know basketball football and art you know yard all the time i'll throw them back into theirs like yeah i mean you should probably just go just mow the neighbor's kids like just run them over with a lawnmower and <laughs> this and is like, so you're funny. in my yard now you count it's fine <laughs> now that that sucks and so i guess not to get too much into this like have you? Is this neighbors that you associate with, or like? They, no, like, no, we because they're they're on the other opposite side of the street because our houses are back to back. Okay, okay. So we've not met them. I have actually never seen them, which is the weird thing too. So you you know that there's that like the the, the like someone's just like goddamn balls in the yard again. Well, I'm gonna go. I'm you know this is gonna teach them. So I I yeah. would say that maybe either. Like the, the probably the right thing to do is go introduce yourself and be like, oh, we have the dog. We'll come over get the ball. It's fine. The jerk thing to do would be more. <laughs> I suggested larger, my wife larger that like, we just start we putting crack, soccer balls. Well, no, my suggestion was that we crack one balls. open, fill it with concrete, throw it over the fence. Oh, that's and, even better. Yeah, that, the, that is sneaky as all get out. I like yeah. it. Um, yeah, that yeah, I I appreciate you should do that. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it's not quite the vulture problem, but or we find all find vultures in the area and feed them on that lawn <laughs> so that they occupy the house and tear apart a pool enclosure and everything. It's like, I, so the reason, like, so they, they vomit because I know they, de- like, they, they eat all their food and then they throw it back up again. I think it's because for, like, they're, they're young. I think that's a lot of why they do that. Oh, I thought it was because, like, they couldn't digest bone or that's something. That's probably more accurate, maybe. I don't know. I don't know vultures. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm a, I, I'm a heretic. Uh, so, uh, that's probably also it too. You're probably right. They don't digest bones, but they'll eat everything and then like puke it all up. But it's like the whole, like, I like how like, and they defecate everywhere too. It's like, it's, <laughs> they're birds, birds shit all over the place, regardless of the type of bird it is. Yeah. And I'm sure their shit is worse because it is, you know, guts or whatever, the, or other, other vultures evidently. So, so yeah, these, uh, these birds are shooking. Shooking, yes. Have you heard that phrase before? Uh, no, I've heard uh, that, that. Shooking is when you're shitting and puking at the same time. Uh, um, yeah, and may that never happen uh, to me. I, that's, I, of all the horrible things that has happened to me bodily, I've never had that experience of like, where do I choose? Like, I, I've had a flu. I've had a flu. One flu so bad at one point that that was a choice that I had to make. I, I had a friend of mine at college talk about how he was sick, like he was on vacation, and it was like he had to put like a laundry hamper in front of him. And I'm like, how? Like, well, how do you come back from that? And if people see you, how how do you talk to them? Like, how do you make eye contact after that? Of just like. Uh, oh man, Pat Oswald had a bit about that too. I don't know if you know, like he he did a routine about um, like getting like he had the flu and going out on stage and saying that there's something called stage health where he is actually like went on stage and he's gotten through like you know like super high fevers, being sick, and then he feels fine until he sets foot off stage and he's like sick again. But something hit him the wrong way, and he said suddenly he had to leave the stage and he and he described it as springtime and autumn. That's how he described what was coming out of the front and out of the back, and I thought that was the most like artistic way to explain what was going on to him. 
far more artistic than the phrase shooking. <laughs> shooking. All right. So, right. So we're going to go from shooking into our discussion about Glow Season 3. So not a great transition, but th- th- it never is on the show. And now for our feature presentation. Pull up my IMDb. Oops. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna leave that in because like we gotta know what's going on here. We're gonna talk about uh Glow season three. Uh and so I know we've talked actually on this show we've actually done episodes about season one, season two. And Steve and I were both very excited for this show because uh I, I will I will start the conversation like this. One of my coworkers came up to me recently and was like, "Have you you know?" He saw that I was watching Glow because I posted on Facebook, and I and I remember my status was, "If you're not watching this, you're missing out." Because I believe that you know you, people should watch the show. Um, and he came up to me. He was like, "Yeah, what'd you think?" And I was like, "It's pretty good." He was like, "He's like I'm usually really passionate about things that I like and try to get everybody to watch it." He's like, "I feel like this is a show that I don't tell people about because I want to keep it all to me." all to myself mm-hmm. and it's like that's an interesting way to be like i love this so much that i don't want anybody else to have it i feel like that's a good way to kind of say this but people need to watch this because netflix likes canceling series after three seasons so yeah um yeah um the, for a show that is a fictionalized telling of the rise and fall of the gorgeous ladies of wrestling i didn't think i would have that much interest in the show i thought it'd be kind of fun and campy and it is that but you we're now three seasons in and it's just surprising to me. Like it's, it's the characters and like the interactions is what gets me. Not just like the, Hey, it's the eighties and it's lady wrestling. Um, so I was really looking forward to the season and I know I always, I'm not always great at catching most recent things because I've just, you know, always played overwatch probably or podcasting one of the two or sleeping or drinking, you know, it's just, I got, I got a lot of hobbies. Uh, so, but we made it a point we're going to watch this and talk about it. So it's always great to also have this as a goal so that way we can be ready to talk about the show. So if it wasn't for this, I'd, I would have watched it anyway. Maybe not all at once. So you teased last episode that this is probably your favorite season. Yes. Um, and now that we're you know here, you totally start recording. There's an asterisk applied to that. So yeah, how, I mean, how do we, how do we get this? How do we started this? Because it's like ten episodes, and yeah, I yeah. mean, I don't want to jump the 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 gun on this only because yes, it's still probably my favorite season. Um, but there, I believe the last episode I prefaced with, you know, I've got three or four episodes left to go. You know, this will be my favorite season. You know, unless something happens in the last four episodes that totally shits the bed um that did not happen but there were things that happened in the last four episodes that sort of tinted my view of the season um and mainly it has to do a lot with there's a time jump that happens in the last half of the the series or the last three to four episodes um and mainly because i like the character so much i felt like there were stories that were suddenly ended or not given much more than what was there uh, simply because they moved ahead in time. Like, you almost get the feeling. So, all right, well, I guess we should throw this out here, too. I'm just going to throw. Do you know why they are called spoilers? Because I'm incapable of, like, incapable? I'm incapable of saying words tonight that are right. Um, I'm incapable of discussing anything without, like, walking right down the middle of it talking about it. Right. if you've not seen season three of Glow or any season of Glow, stop right now and watch them. There, it's it's a wonderful show. 
Um, and it's funny. It has great character beats. Uh, Mark Marin is a revelation in this. Like, he is so good. Yeah, um, I was talking to my wife about that. I'm like, I feel weird because it's such a well-written show. It's extremely well-written. All of the characters are real characters. There's nobody that's sort of a, um, you know... <sighs> everybody has depth everybody feels like a real character there's nobody there that's that's just there for for a show that is based upon the idea of a wrestling show in which people are supposed to be like these not two-dimensional characters but like almost like tropes and like these yes that's what personas the 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 show itself does a good job though i with the cast this large there's a couple characters they get always kind of tossed to the side unfortunately i feel like um I do not remember her name off the top of my head, but the one that's the, Olymp- the actual Olympic medalist, the one that came up with the concept of Liberty Bell in the first season. Right. Like, she's been around all three seasons, and it's like, I still she, don't yeah. have an idea who she is, other than she's like, you know, the most athletic and gung ho about mm-hmm. things, but we don't really know her. Um, and that's, a, you know, maybe, maybe season four is her time to shine. I don't know. But, but it's funny. It just, you know, I was talking to my wife. I'm like, I love Mark Marin in the show. And I'm like, and I feel like it's weird to say that when there's all these other incredible female characters, when it's, when it's very much know, a female centric show. Yeah. Yes. It feels yeah. almost douchey to say that. She's like, well, I don't think it's douchey. She's like, he's a really well, you know, written character, just like all the rest of them. She's like, it's, it's part of the package. I'm like, okay, that makes me feel a little bit better about it. Yeah. So again, if you've not watched any of this, go watch it. Like it's, it's there to watch and enjoy. And it's, it's delightful and heartbreaking. I just, I, again, I, I'm sure we've talked about this previously with not even just this show, but other shows. I think we're reaching a stage of entertainment where it doesn't have like, like, yeah, we can have the ridiculously funny show just to watch. And just like, like, um, like I, I was telling you last time, I'm watching Angie Tribeca, and that's very much a popcorn throwaway show because it's very much in the vein of Naked Gun. I'm still watching it. Like I don't know if I laugh out loud watching every episode, but I enjoy the absurdity, and then the show never takes itself seriously. Like when you have a scene in which Ernie Hudson plays someone's distant father, and the character's like, "Oh, Dad, we have so much to catch up on." He's like, "Okay, but I have to go use the restroom first. It's a long story," and then he just disappears. You have Ernie Hudson for a minute and a half. <laughs> and it's like. He's gone. Like, you don't see him the rest sure. of the season. Like, that's that show. And I, I know what it is. I, I accept it. But there is something now where I feel like there's, like, this emotional nuance that is much more rewarding for something that could have easily been, been like, cheesy throwaway. There's so much depth here and so much reality, which is amazing considering, again, it's a show about people that are putting on these, like, fake personas and doing a show in Vegas, which Vegas is always very fake in a lot of ways um yeah so i didn't mean to step on what you're saying i just i there there's an earnestness to this that makes it worth watching no no yeah i don't think you were stepping on what i was saying um when it comes to the show itself i think we should just step back since the, the beginning of this third season kind of just cover where we're at on in the series you know at the end of last season they lose their television deal basically but they get an offer to go to vegas and that's where this this. To do a stage show to a casino, yeah. so they basically uh, they're going to do the glow thing, but in front of like you know just people that buy tickets to like one of the, the rooms at the Fantan uh, Casino, which is obviously a fake casino. I like that they keep referencing like where it's near, but it's like it's those things like it's near the Flamingo. I'm like, oh, so it's on the Strip. They're like they won't give it a specific right. location. Um, so the thing that was surprising to me is that when we so 
in the real world of the gorgeous ladies of wrestling, which there is a documentary about that and you should watch it. It's great. Um, they actually shot their show out of Vegas. Like the actual TV show was at the Riviera, I think, or the MGM. I just, whatever. It wasn't the Fantan. I can tell you that. Um, and so that's where that happened here. It's not a television production. It's just a stage show like Siegfried and Roy or whatever. And that I thought that was a surprising thing because you get the notion from the first part of the season that the show they're doing is basically the last show they did on television where like they decided just to go balls to the wall because they thought they were losing everything. So have a wedding in you know the middle of everything. Have a bouquet throw that becomes a Royal Rumble. Have all the stuff. So they're following the beats of their last show that they recorded pretty much is yeah. what their stage show is. And I guess I didn't expect that their stage show would be the same show every night. And that plays into the like a lot of the struggles of the season, I, and I, I I appreciated that. Yeah, I will say, and this is again uh, towards more of the back half of the, the season. But I will say, and while I'm not somebody who I, I you know me, like my wrestling knowledge kind of ends about 1993. Like I don't know much about wrestling past that point. Um, but you're like that old hearts going places. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I guess there are a few things that I know, but the point that I'm making is that if you guys don't understand that is one of the worst jokes you could possibly make about anybody. It, so. <laughs> it's pretty dark, folks. Uh, when it comes to the actual wrestling, portion, I did advocate for you running over kids with a lawnmower earlier. That's know, fair. So. Yeah, and also that there should be baseball cards about dads leaving their children. <laughs> so it's been a dark ride all the way through. Welcome to episode two hundred one, everybody. Like, I, like <laughs> uh, well, we did. You know, last episode was the episode where shit got real. So shit, yeah, uh, <laughs> shit gets sad. No, yeah. when it comes to ahead. the series itself, you know, the wrestling portion of it was never like the main attraction, and it's not. It's it's about these characters. It's about their struggles. The things that they're dealing with excuse me and the way that um you know wrestling is sort of evolving for them both in their careers and as people um and finding joy in doing it you know some of them seem to really take to it and fall in love with it and part of season two or big part of season two is is a lot of things that happen in the ring are being played out particularly between um you know ruth and Debbie, you know, yep. be, and particularly with uh, Ruth gets injured in the second season in the ring, and a lot of that plays into how this, that season plays out. And not the just way injured, wrestling... but like um, the, the, the Liberty Bell, which but, yes, uh, uh, Debbie. Uh, Debbie actually is the one to actually like you know not break her ankle, but like fracture something, right? Like, and, right. and there's a lot of like because they have a history because uh, Ruth actually slept with uh, Debbie's husband and like that's a whole first season stuff but there's a lot of st- even in the season three a lot of that still plays out but, but yeah, a lot yeah. of the storylines of the characters are also playing out on not the, the the screen I should say in the ring in the ring yeah yeah and with them making it the same show every night with them taking that sort of element out of it I do feel like the wrestling portion of it, even though it's not a wrestling show, I'm not saying that like I wanted it to be 24-7 wrestling throughout the entire season. 
I felt that like we kind of lost that element of the show where things that were happening in their real life were being reflected in the ring. That, that's fair. Um, I've been so I know I will always use this as like crib sheet notes, but uh, the AV Club, which is like the side of the Onion, which is the like you know satirical news site, they do something called the AV Club. So if you go to avclub.com. They do, sorry, it's like TV.AVClub, but they do all these reviews of a lot of TV shows and films and, and other things. And their, their, their commentary is really interesting to me. And they did an episode-by-episode review of Glow. And the person that did the reviews is someone uh, who has written um, at length about female wrestling. And, and so she's a fan. I didn't realize that the um, – I'm about to lose my mouse here. I, this is me being uh, oblivious that um, – uh, that Kia Stevens, who's uh, Tamei, uh, that's the welfare queen. I didn't know that she was an actual female wrestler. Like she's actually like that's what her calling card was. And then she came into the show, so they they knew her as a wrestler, but for her to be like an actress, and okay. she and she does amazing things like with the whole series. I love mm-hmm. her, and they they give her a spotlight of her the struggle of doing a show over and over again and what that does to your body. So like anyway so the reviewer of these shows like they they bemoan the loss of wrestling being a focus of the season as well like every one of their views it's not like they're bitching about it but it's like it's it's a constant like yeah this is a show called glow where's the wrestling parts of this happening and i thought you were gonna tell me that like uh you're like oh let me tell you what the av club said and why you're wrong <laughs> no, 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 no 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 i just like, that point that you were making about uh to though her story arc ends in the decisions made she could be a manager and i'm like oh that'll be so much fun to see her being a manager yeah and then, and then we never see it that's true however i mean i know that there's no her storyline literally ends. It, you're absolutely you're 100 percent right I, I think it's a good thing to pick up with with what happens at the end of season three when they go in the four so they can still like so you're right it just i don't know how you incorporate that element in this show that's kind of rigid however um, my favorite episode of the season was the was the freaky uh, what was it called Freaky Tuesday or whatever it was, where uh, Tamei because she was doing the same show over and over and over again taking the same bumps her back is a shot. Yeah, she's they literally show her over like a course of like the weeks. shows that have been yeah. done over weeks of her morning ritual of like drinking wine, taking the night killers. before taking painkillers being in the shower, shower trying, trying to, to loosen her back yeah and then it shows her back in the ring like diving in and picking up people and swinging them around and so she says like at one point try to hide the fact that she's hurt because again you're it's a only wrestler. supposed to be three months too that's, yeah that's not supposed to be a limited too. engagement she knew she had like three shows left or something right but she was like well no maybe i should play the part of one of the older ladies that are called the biddies that start the show because they have a walker and i'm and she's like everybody and then then what was it um uh ruth was the one that was like yeah no, no it wasn't ruth it was um it was debbie who was like because she thought she was out the door too yeah everybody should just change characters yeah and that was my favorite episode just because we already kind of got the idea of how the show the the stage show was over and over and over again seeing all the different actors play like different versions of other actors was a lot of fun like yeah. it was great to see um uh allison brie actually take on the character of liberty bell where she was she was still all american but she did this like this weird like midwestern like spin on her where it's like she's a farm girl as opposed to like <laughs> yeah. i don't know but it fit it still fit liberty bell and then having uh debbie uh play zoya 
and but she made it much more like you know the sexy spy like type. I don't know. It was just fun to see all of them and to see Bash, who who's owner of the production, like not know what's going on and just get like, I guess we're doing this now. And he was getting mad. And then Mark Maron, who was the 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 referee at the time, just kind of be like, I don't know, but he could tell he was actually entertained. Right. That was the most joy I had the entire season. I loved that episode. I thought that was a lot of fun. So. I want to go back to Bash in a second, but yeah, we'll I, I think Bash it's more. also uh, important to mention the beginning of the season starts off literally the first episode with them basically watching one of the most traumatic events that happened in the 1980s, uh, particularly if you were somebody who was very into NASA and uh, like entire schools, schools all over the country were oh, watching yeah. simply because there was a teacher aboard. And I'm, of course, talking about the, the Challenger, Challenger explosion. explosion. Yeah. Where were you? Like, do you remember watching that live? So here's the thing. I Were you in a women's wrestling federation at the time? It was not. I was, I think I was in fifth grade at the time. Um I'm trying to think of what year it was. I, it was, I was in elementary school. But yeah, I, I mean, was definitely in elementary still. Yeah. But um, I remember uh, it happened, and I, I, I don't remember seeing it, but I remember the discussions about yes. it. And every just sort of like being dumbfounded and like, you know, uh, the jokes arising later on about what color Kristen McAuliffe's eyes were. I'm not going to give the punchline because it's awful. Um, or what but, kind of shampoo she used. Right. <laughs> like, so <laughs> Why do I remember that horrible thing that was said? Yeah, because, you know, we were kids and that's how, well, I, I still uh, deal with, you know, tragedy in pretty much everything. Awful like, ways. Like a bunch of vultures, like, yes. uh, eating and vomiting <laughs> and shitting in some rich person's house. But, um... <laughs> that is not the same tragedy as the Challenger, by the way. Right. <laughs> but the, the episode begins and it's it's sort of a um i don't want to say that it's it's a foreshadowing of what happens within the season but it's it it definitely gives you the sense that you know they're they're in a different territory now well, and no, it's it, it different... is foreshadowing because like this thing's like flying high and like the explosion is imminent you know and, right uh, and yeah, and um, the other thing too is is that you don't realize what's happening at first, like what they're specifically talking about, mm -hmm. until they're like, and then we're gonna go to I don't remember if it was Cape Canaveral or not, but you know we're gonna go to the the feed, and you know Zoya is going on about how horrible America is, yeah, and how it's her terrible and NASA Liberty Bell, is, like commenting on like this launch. And they're in character. They're just like kind of hamming it up. Yeah. And yeah. And uh, Allison Bree's character is not looking at the screen, and she's talking shit. And you just see, yeah. Bet it was it um uh the Liberty Debbie. Belt, De Debbie. But um Betty Gilpin gives an amazing like reaction performance yeah. of just like she drops character and she's just like just just in shock. And about what's going on, and you got Zoya just like firing off all these like like one liners that would be funny, and but it's there's people dying, dying in front of you, yeah. and yeah, it's 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 a it's a weird way to start the season, but I don't like I think it's also the people making the show letting you know like yeah you're like be excited for Globe, but there's going to be collateral damage, right? You know, and this whole season has a lot of that. Yeah, and I, I thought it was an interesting way to... At first, I didn't know how I felt about it, actually, because after it, that sequence ended, I was like, wow, I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I guess because I'm so used to, you know, 
seeing something about, say, World War II because I wasn't alive then. I didn't experience it. So mm-hmm. it's less of a, you know, a, a, a pinpoint for me where I can say, well, I remember that happening. I remember where I was. I remember, you know, um, specifically how I felt about that. So uh, it was it was at first very like, you know, not controversial, but I was just kind of like, wow, I can't believe they went there. And that's the start of the season. So yeah. that was that was sort of, you know, um, I don't know. I, I wanted to say off-putting, but it wasn't off-putting. It was just sort of a, a shake to the system. Yeah, absolutely. Like, wow, we're really going into this right off the gun, right off the rip, yeah, I guess. Yeah, well, and then it's like, and then you had, um, you know, Ruth, like, keep trying to say, well, we should acknowledge this during the show. And everyone's like, right. and like Sam, a, you know, Mark Maron's character was like, people are buying tickets to casino to come here. He's like, do you want to, like, have everybody just, like, cry? Like, right. Like, <laughs> like they're like, they're coming discussion. here to forget, not yeah, to. Like, yeah, yeah, it's like, you're going to have a bunch of, like, wrestlers be like, now we need to be serious about the challenger. And there's a moment actually that happens later in the locker room where like some of them realize that they've they've already kind of forgotten uh, because they put their minds to trying to focus on something else so that they wouldn't think about it, and then they immediately feel shitty because they're like, "Oh my god, I can't believe I was enjoying myself." Well, no, there was the like so like we so Gia Davis is a, is a character. Her she is actually like the like the not owner but like one of the like the the manager of the casino, and after that happened. Uh, there was like, so the casino had like a, like a fire alarm or something. Everybody ended up outside and everybody still shook because of the challenger events that day. And also this fire alarm that when everybody's coming in, she's offering like complimentary, like chips and drinks, like chips as in like casino chips, like, like actual, like, you know, gambling chips. And you get the idea that she actually called the fake fire alarm just to get people more unsettled. Cause they're going to probably spend more. Like they're going to appreciate the drink and whatever, but then um, uh, Debbie actually goes up and was like, "Well, these girls are off, you know, off put, and so uh, they're given like a shit ton of casino chips." So you see them at the craps table yeah. all winning, and they're all having fun. It was a really fun moment because they're all like dressed up in weird costumes, like like at the, and no one bats an eye because it's Vegas, right? Yeah. So they all had like a great day, and then they're like, "Oh shit, the challenge happened today." <laughs> um, yeah, it was just it, yeah. You're right. I agree that that was an interesting way to start the, the season off. But so the things that I picked up on, and this is not by me being smart at all, like is that we talk about what I'm hearing, folks, is is Paul's very smart, and these are the things I'm that not. He's taking I, we, away. I, I mix up, you know, being hypocritical and being a heretic. I mix up. Uh, I I couldn't remember George Romero's name. Like I, you know, I'm just. I'm just a skeleton in a flabby skin suit right now that can barely function. So I, I don't know. I, I got nothing. Um, so folks, shit just got real. Shit just got real. I'm just, I turned my hat around on my, my, my flabby skull, you know, whatever. Uh, I don't know what makes a skull flabby, but I got a flabby skull. Uh, it's probably a lack of vitamin D. <laughs> um, the notion of repetitiveness because Ruth gets in the stuck in this loop of where she can't get out and she feels like nothing means anything anymore. And she's doing the thing that she wanted to do is be a performer, but she, that she like feels like it's all like for not that that's interesting. Um, there's also, uh, the character of, um, uh, Carmen, who is uh, Machu Picchu. 
uh, how she's the, the, the wrestler of the group because she is the one that comes from the family of wrestlers and how she's feeling st- like just burned out because she doesn't actually get to do anything different. You know, mm-hmm. there's, and so you have all this and then you have the other, other characters that because they know what their requirements are, like no one's really staying in shape and being conditioned. It's, it's hinted at that the show's getting sloppy though. You never yeah. see it, but there's a bit where, um, where Cherry, uh, goes and, uh, uh, takes them all to a, um, a basically like a dance class, like a baller, ballet class, because there's all these Vegas showgirls that have to stay in shape. And there's something else there that they talk about that's interesting. Second, I like that they're like, no, 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 ladies, we're gonna go do this. So you just see how gassed and how like they're like, well, this is stupid. And then like they're all destroyed at the end of it. Like, yeah. Um, so that's that's a fun thing. But it's like they, so you see there's this complacency running through, and it's like you you you've actually have success and you're being taken care of somewhat this is a much more secured position than you were in the first two seasons of the of the show that we've seen it's it's interesting to see that like you're getting what you want you may not be happy with what you have yeah you know and i think that runs through a lot of the season i think also for ruth it's a reflection where she's going particularly towards the end of the season where you know she still has her dream and so there are two pieces to this. One is is that uh, she's supposed to do a piece, uh, and I can't remember which play it is now, unfortunately, with Sheila for uh, a benefit for AIDS that she completely misses. Yeah. Um, and it's something that I think her character previously in the season or even the season before would not have missed for any reason at all a chance to perform but also the fact that they're also building up the fact that you know maybe her strength is writing as opposed to acting which or directing or yeah, directing yeah. yeah um and i i think that that's an interesting turn for her character um and i wonder how they're going to play that up but i i, I find it weird because like i i, I know that you know they're they're how should I put this? So the the actress who p- portrays Sheila, I think she's probably got the most interesting arc of the series mm-hmm. of this season. Of this season, um, yeah. and definitely shows her, her acting chops like more so than. And I, she's I loved her in both the other seasons too, but um, they kind of drive home the fact that like she's clearly the actress of the group. Well, um, that and like you get the idea that you know from the get go because all of them are trying to come up with these personas to be wrestlers and she's never not been the she wolf. And right. it was like, almost like, well, you're locked in. And then to find out that she has all these insecurities because like she wears a wig, she puts on this heavy black makeup, she wears animal pelts. And there's a bit where she's actually attending an acting class with her and uh, to and, Do you know who that acting coach was? Oh, I saw I saw him. I recognized him kind of. Did you recognize him from retro invasion weekend when he came to our table and you didn't know who he was? <laughs> I almost dropped an f bomb. <laughs> that was Ari Gross. God damn it! <laughs> here, I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw one of these out there. Game over, yeah! This is a gentleman that I did not place watching this show that I tried selling a comic book to, and then Steve's like, "No, no, no, he's known," and I'm like, "Oh, I'm so sorry, sir. I shook this man's hand." <laughs> Oh, that was this entire episode will not have been worth it just for that reaction from you. 
That was perfect. So to answer your question, no, I don't know who the acting coach is. <laughs> but I guess the point that I was trying to make about Sheila's story is, is it's also supposed keep to talking. I'm gonna drink reflect for uh, and or for Ruth that she sees that uh, you know uh, Sheila has this untapped sort of natural ability for acting that she feels like she doesn't have. Um, and so opening up another drink in front of <laughs> her arc sort of becomes towards the end. Uh, about not having a direction. Um, and I think that's interesting because I feel like, not that Ruth gets lost throughout the season, but I feel like she weaves in and out of the season more yeah. so than she did in the previous two. That was one of the, like, here I am talking about somebody else's critique of the season, but they feel like all the, like the, the, the Ruth and Sam stuff, like in Hollywood, like back, back, didn't really belong in the show. Mm-hmm. And I see it to a point, but, the the show really is Ruth and um, Debbie's show, yeah. and like I mean, and it's great that we get all these other characters that are getting developed, but they're the two through lines. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Although I loved them too, just out on the town in Vegas. And I think it's the second episode where he takes her out and just like shows her how much Vegas, how much fun Vegas can actually be. Yeah. Um, and lets her like you know gets her gambling. Gamble, but, well, the the, yeah. the the big thing there with with Sam is that. He doesn't do it. Yeah. And so there's a, this through line of this season that he realizes that his lifestyle is very self-destructive. And right. he's actually not gambling. He's actually trying to cut down smoking. He's actually trying to play tennis. And yeah. and he's an older guy. And there's a bit where he's sitting on like the this bench right by the tennis courts. And he's like coughing up a lung and realizes that he needs to get rid of the cigarettes but he throws most of them away yeah and it's like and so when the like so when he has his heart attack later in the, the season the doctors are like you need to cut all this out he's like i've been trying like so basically he's at this point of desperation of like yeah this is what i've been doing recently and yeah and so but with him like that that, that good day was he's like no 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 i'll teach you to gamble i think it was really sam just trying to really show that he's he's not growing changing. up, but changing. And yeah. But I will say that, okay, so A, first of all, one of my things was I was like, you don't kill him. Do not kill him. If you kill Mark Marin right now, I'm going to be so mad. I don't normally have those reactions in a show, but like, I was like, oh my God, they're going to kill him. I can't believe they're going to kill Sam. <laughs> um, but the other thing is, is that, and this is one of the things that I, again, I feel like it. it's not exactly dropped, but he has his heart attack. And then time passes, and he's in the production of a movie with his daughter. And we kind of don't see... There hasn't been any change for him. There hasn't been any ramification other than he makes it official that she's his daughter, like, paperwork-wise. Well, the, like the day so after, that if something happens to him... Like, after he gets out of really, really out of the hospital, he goes to, to talk to his daughter, and he... he obviously he's like slow moving not he's like like a little rough around the edges she reads that wrong and takes that he went out and did something and then he's and then she's like well you're gonna direct the film and she's like we need to have a drink to celebrate and he has that moment of hesitation but then it's like he just gives in again and it's like the devil you know and i and so there's the whole thing too about how when he goes to make her his daughter it's more of the notion of like well i need to make a will because i don't know how long we'll be around it's very fatalistic it is, but at the same time, I feel like we've now we've spent six months away from him and his character. I mean, not us physically, but within the story. And I, I, I felt like that was a mistake. Is is for a show written this well? It 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 feels really stupid for me to say. 
I felt like that was a mistake. But I feel like a lot of storylines in this series, particularly the third season, were cut short or were given less importance simply because of that time jump. Another one... Okay, so I mentioned that with... Um, to me. To me. Yeah. Uh, you know, that I felt like her storyline just ends. Um, the same point, we see earlier on in the season that um, Liberty Bell... Um, Debbie is also um, binging and purging, and I was expecting that to go somewhere. Yeah, and it, that it, falls it, away. It, it, well, I mean, it's she a, may it, still be doing it. And I think I feel like but that's it's a something seed that's planted and then never referenced again. That's the rest true. Of that season. And the, my, I'm, I guess I'm not going to defend it, but it's like that's one more thing you know about her, and it's one more pressure put on her. Right. right. And it's like so whenever they're out in the desert, like camping, and I, it just. There's this whole thing where it's like, like Ruth thinks that Debbie's making more healthy decisions because after she you know confronts her about like you're starving yourself, let's have some cheeseburgers and then whatever, and then later that night you see Debbie you know purge herself. Uh, I think it sets up this whole notion of like, well, she must you know like she's living better. Like I, I don't know, like you're 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 wandering out in the desert and you're kind of like lost. Maybe she'll have like a better. I don't know, like survivability, but it's like, you know, her body chemistry screwed up too. And like, you don't know how long they're going to be stuck out there. I, I don't know if that was like a ticking time clock type scenario. And it was never hinted at, but it's always the back of, her, back of your head of her always thinking that no matter how well she positions herself, there's these unattainable standards that she's going to be held to. Um, like the whole, the whole reason that kind of cued her to start binging and purging was at the dance class the one coach kept saying your ass is out your ass is out and it's like she, her body shape was just different than these uh, Vegas showgirls yeah and that's the big thing is like because you know she's gorgeous but she doesn't think she is you know? right or or she thinks she has to attain something else uh, so I think it's always there in the corners but you're right it's just shown once and it, it's not resolved in the sense of like either she is or isn't doing it again but it's shown as one more bit that she still has issues she's working through. And I'm not saying it has to be resolved, but I feel like her story suddenly just changes once text become, comes into the storyline. Text, yeah. Um, and there's nothing wrong with it per se. It's just that I felt like it was a swerve that I, again, and maybe this just goes against my, you know, oh, I feel like this is where it was going and I'm upset because it didn't go where I thought it was going. But... It, it just seemed like an odd sort of thing. Like it felt like they were building to something, and then we're like, "No, that's not really yeah. where we're going." Now she's in, and I get like, you know, actually, you know what? This is actually another problem that I have with it. His text up until the, the like last episode is this really nice guy who we think is like a sophisticated man. Not sophisticated is not the what's the word I'm looking for? A modern man. He's he's not. I mean, there, there's a lot that that works for him, but his view of the relationship is not what she thought it was. Right, and, but and they so were his, sort of just given that in the last episode, where it's like, oh, so he's kind of a dick. Yeah, um, which you're not the entire like, particularly when it comes to the AIDS benefit. Yeah, where he reveals that like he lost somebody close to him because of it, and like you're like, okay, he's he's clearly not a one dimensional character. He's not a. Um, stuck in his, you know, ways character or stuck in the 50s or, you know, but then it's just revealed in the last episode that he just thinks of her as his girlfriend and she's kind of eye candy for when he's in meetings and like, yeah, 
I was just I was disappointed by that. Not that, that because... is frustrating because I, I thought maybe there'd be something more there to be like, oh, this is actually a compliment to her. And I, in... Yeah, and I realized that they're they're trying to build that like she's going to do this thing now that is going to both end that relationship and further her career. I understand how that all plays together, but I just he he turned into like a madman character because of that. Yeah, it's like oh, he's okay, he's not okay. Um, just want to point out that Toby Huss, who plays Tex, he looks like he'd be like Joe Bob Briggs' brother. Yeah, and also I know Toby Huss more. Did he didn't he do like the weird interstitials for MTV like years ago as like the cowboy that was like yelling stuff. You know, I don't know about that. Do you know, do you know what I'm talking about? Do you remember that? I don't remember that, but uh, he will always be the uh, crazy guy in Rio Nine One One. No, he, he was always like the crazy guy. They do the call. They'd always go out to see what he's doing. <laughs> it was always Toby Huss. There was an episode of Seinfeld where Elaine is dating him, and she can't figure out why she's attracted to him. And it turns out he was like the mattress king oh. in uh, a TV commercial. Um. And that entire episode's about why she's attracted to him and she can't figure it out. But uh, uh, he was also in the uh, 2018 Halloween as uh, um, Lori's right. daughter's husband. Okay, that's right. Okay, yeah, yeah I just um, he he's he's a known character actor, right? Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah. So I I. I don't disagree with anything that you're saying in terms of like the truncated like storylines and the rush timeline. Like I feel like for as much that was here, they probably could have did two seasons in Vegas before they move on to what was going on. Like they could have did the initial three month run and then the ramifications of being around longer and have that break be the season break. I think that would have been more beneficial. But I also feel like the people making the show don't know how long like they probably have an outline of where they want to go with this. Like, but we've seen Netflix recently either be a hundred percent supportive of things or not, right? And yeah. and I understand that. I and I which, please which, don't take this as by me the way disliking. Just throw this out there: the OA got canceled after two seasons. Oh. So um, I know it's um, it's 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 not it's not what people wanted to have happen. But I'm pretty okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> He's OA okay with it. A O yeah OA okay yes. Uh, but you know, I, I I understand your argument, um, and I don't know. It's this weird thing where I feel like uh, maybe I do tend to focus on the negative more than I should. But I also think that you know, having criticisms doesn't mean you dislike something. It no, just no, means no, 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 that, You know, no, I, well, I feel uh, I feel like you know, I, I am spending a lot of time on it. But because the show is so strong, I think those are the things that stand out to me is when it falters as opposed to because there's so much that happens in the season that I love the, the, the Sheila arc I think is amazing. Um, How she like gets like she like comes out as herself as opposed to the she wolf. And then I like it. Like we didn't even talk about the, the gentleman who is the, the, um, the drag queen that has his own show that has the AIDS benefits, right? Which I thought he was going to be like a quick, like one off thing. in one of the episodes, he ends up becoming like, a fairly significant per- person in the last like third of the season. And his story is interesting too. And there's a lot there that isn't spoken, but you get, yeah. and I like, and, and the line between the eighties and uh, re- female wrestlers and drag shows and like, it's all there in Vegas with all these different facades you put up. Like it, it all makes sense that this is all put there. Right. Because, right. Like and I and I, I am not the best person to be in the position to talk about all this, but it's like when this started getting like introduced, I'm like, 
this all feels like side by side by side. Like, and also there is the, the, um, story of, um, Oh shoot. Their names are, um, Arthie and, um, the person who's playing junk chain. Now the, what's her name? Um, the, that, the, that couple, like yes. the two of them together. Uh, sorry, Yolanda, uh, Arthie and Yolanda where like, you know, Yolanda, like, realized she had feelings for for her at the end of the se- of season two and their like evolving relationship and then how Arthie is like she she cares about Yolanda but she still doesn't feel comfortable saying that she herself is a lesbian and so Yolanda's like I'm not going to waste my time on a straight girl that's just experimenting and then all this like there's like the self like self-realization self-discovery and it's all kind of ra- all wrapped up and together it's like there's so much like realization of self through all this that all of that rings true mm-hmm. and i and it wasn't it wasn't what i was expecting but i and then we, we haven't even talked about bash yet there is so much of that that kind of runs through this and it's like and the fact that it runs through vegas where you have the opportunity to buy whatever fantasy you want and there's these people that are making a living by selling something they're not Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they kind of are. And talking about Sheila, her coming to the realization of like, this is who I am. I don't have to be this the yeah. entire time. And I loved her running into the ring as Liza Minnelli in yeah. wrestling. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. <laughs> Holding the drink and still yeah. wrestling was amazing. Because <laughs> it made me think of Liza Minnelli from Arrested Development as well, having vertigo. Um, yeah, there's just so much here that I am not capable of being the person to talk about it. But it. I, I love all of that. Yeah, I, I I absolutely agree with you. And, you know, uh, when it comes to, you know, well, let's actually talk about Bash now. Um, you know, he kind of, throughout the series, has also been a character who goes from extremes. Uh, yeah. It's never that you hate the character, but you, you're always like, wow, that guy's kind of a douche. And then you're like, oh, okay, I get it. I like Bash. Okay. He's had a privileged life this entire yeah. time. And then and you're like, like, oh, and then he yeah. does something, and you're like, oh, he's, it, he's kind of a douche. And then you're like, no, nah, I like him. Yeah. Um, and you start off the season by liking him, and then he has a turn about halfway through as well uh, where you're like, what the hell is going on with him? Um, and... It's obviously revealed towards the end of the the, the the season where clearly Bash. See, I I took it as meaning that he was bisexual. My wife took it as that he's he's actually gay, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm like, and that's that's fine. I'm like, I don't have you know, I don't know. I I, I didn't know how to suss out that story, but um, with that in mind. I don't know how that makes me still feel about his character because his character does some things throughout the season that are just kind of awful. Yeah. Um, I, particularly the way he treats Sam, the way he treats, well, Rhonda. Debbie, it, oh, and, well, Debbie yeah. and Rhonda the entire time. Um, so it's just, uh, I don't know. I'm still I'm still at odds with his character, I guess, is the best way of putting it. Okay. Well, uh, we'll talk about Bash in a second, but so I just want to bring up Toby Huss real quick. Uh, it says on uh, Wikipedia, in the early 1990s, he uh, Huss appeared in uh, network promos for MTV playing odd characters, including a crooner named as Old Two Eyes, who sang lounge versions of uh, Dre Day, Insane of the Brain, and uh, Jeremy. Uh, and then he also played a redneck named Reverend Tex uh, Sto- Stovehead Bottom, who delivered fast-talking and deceptively detailed non-sequitur triads that usually include the phrase, go to hell. 
Does that sound familiar to you at all? The first no. part does. No. The second one does not. But it's interesting to me that you're still stuck on that. No, because it was in my head. And he'd always be like, go to hell. And everybody around him would be like, go to hell. And I'd be like, MTV. Like, it would always be like that. So, All right. Um, I will look at yeah. some of those uh, tomorrow after uh, I get out of work. Yeah. So, and um, anyway. So, I just he's been in everything. So, And he was also Artie the Strongman in Pete and Pete. Did you ever watch a bit I didn't Pete watch Pete? Pete and Pete. It was... I only saw a little bit. Like... I- Iggy Pop plays like the father of one of like the kids in that, and it's like Iggy Pop's in this, like it's so <laughs> so weird. Anyways, no with Bash though, it's like yes, he does like like veer wildly from like unlikable and likable, but I think that is why I'm interested in his character because he could just be that obnoxious frat boy that lives a life of leisure and uh, like um, but there's a bit in the camping episode where because he's married to Rhonda, who is Britannica, like the um, British redhead, you know, hottie who plays a ditzy character. And she is a little bit, but you realize that like, she has like this extreme emotional intelligence about her. Um, so her character gets fleshed out even more in this season, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and, and good. And, and rightfully so there's a bit where everybody's kind of like, you know, talking shit about bash. And she's like, you know, this time last year I was living in my car and, you know, and here we are, and you guys are all working in Vegas getting steady paychecks. You're not complaining about that. Just basically just be like, you know, understand. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, so she's yeah. like his advocate. And though she did marry him because of her green card, she's come to love him. Um, and she's trying to understand him. And yes. the thing is, Bash is like, he's trying to do all these other things. But the one thing he doesn't want to do is admit who he is. Because I feel like because of his his friend slash pretty much his first love, Florian, died in season two, which is Florian was like his butler slash assistant slash friend slash his emotional support. And you find out that Florian ran away for various reasons. And he ended up dying. And it's not set out right, but you know he died of AIDS. So and then when Bash starts kind of figuring something out about himself, he's scared of the truths he might be confronted with. So he marries a hot British girl. Mm. You know, and so then you don't know if that's going to carry over in the season and it becomes very prevalent in the second half. And, um, yeah, I mean, he still does some asshole things, but there's just every so often where you realize like he's not a bad guy, but there, he just, he does sometimes make the selfish decision because like he's never had the greatest like emotional support around him growing up. Right. And there's the sequence and just where, uh, Rhonda believes that if she gets him jealous, then they'll have more intimacy. And then that ter- takes a turn that she's not expecting. Right. Um, that is, is really interesting. And then how he is like, it's almost like a relief, but he's also like ashamed and disgusted at the same time. Well, because he tries to have the male prostitute who was Rhonda had hired just to make <laughs> him jealous. Jealous. Yeah. He thinks he works for the hotel. He doesn't, um, and he tries to have him fired. Yeah, and I like that. Gene Davis is like, no, no, no. He's just a gigolo. I could have him go to a different hotel. He's like, what? And like he yeah. just runs off, and it's like that's not good. Um, but yeah, just the bash where it's like you realize that Rhonda loves him and that she wants to stay married to him, and and I ultimately Rhonda is good for him. But I think he's starting to come to realization that may he may not be perfect for her, but their relationship can expand past that. And I think that she's able to do so. 
it's a very progressive idea. I know it's it, this is always backwards looking, and it's the eighties, like where this is set up at. But it brings a more nuanced like look at this as opposed to him just being this clause of the person that's ashamed and then like project all his aggression on her, which is how that could have easily went. Right. You know? Um, yeah. I, I, I like, I like that story. I like those elements. I like uh, that. It just, and they gave, they gave Rhonda a lot more to do. And I, they, they even speak to uh, their, they basically, they, they abandoned, um, uh, uh, Carmen, because Carmen kind of had a crush on Bash, and then Rhonda ends up marrying him, and there's yeah. a big, there's a heart to heart that Rhonda and Carmen have out in the desert, and she's like, I just miss my, fr-. and Carmen's like, I just miss my friends, like what's going on, and it's like, that, that's that's a big deal, and I really like that she's like, I'm over having a crush on him, I just miss the people, you know, I miss yeah. everything going on, and. That rang really true for me. And there's the whole bit, too, when Ryan talked about when she was living out of her car, how she liked parking in pretty places. So when she'd wake up in the morning, she'd like think maybe her life's going to get better because she's looking at something pretty. That's a taut, like, it's a really quick line, but I think that says a lot about her as a character, and I really like that. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about Gina Davis really quick. Um, I will say that, again, this is I'm not faulting the season for it, but I felt like they were... Slowly building her into a character on the series, and then the last episode, it's just that uh, Bash has pulled his money out and now screwed her over. Yeah. Screwed her over, and I'm like, well, I'm hoping she somehow is in this this fourth season because I really thought that it was, <laughs> I really thought that they were building something with her character, and if if it's just that like the rugs pulled out from under her in this last in this last episode of the third season, and we're done with the character, <laughs> it's it's unfortunate because a gina davis is an amazing actress and b uh i i thought that it would have been i i thought her relationship to debbie and kind of not being a role model but being a like well i think they even say debbie sees can see can see like what she could possibly be looking at in her future well i was gonna say i feel like early in the season i think one of like i think mark maron refers to her as the ghost christmas future i think so and then they literally do a christmas carol in the last episode um yeah i agree with that and then also just the like they end up getting her and like like they end up getting g davis in like full showgirl outfit which was like like i'm like huh like, like she still got it. There's no doubt about that. My wife was like, "Damn!" I'm, I'm like, like, "Yeah." yeah. Huh? <laughs> like, just she's in a league of her own. Is what I'm going to say about that. Um, like, I wish they would done a little bit more with her, but the fact that she is basically talking to Debbie about, like, you know, regardless of what's going on, let's we can talk one woman about being a professional in this business. And it was it was good to have that like other perspective. Um, and also like, I also like where Debbie ends up at too, at the end of the season, because with, um, text basically saying, you're my girlfriend, it's great to have you during the meetings. But, but whenever Debbie straight up says, I know the offer you're making for this TV station, you're lowballing them. He's like, well, how do you know that? She's like, I've done my research mm-hmm. and sees the opportunity to be like, Hey, we can do a lot more with what we're doing. And she goes to bash and was like, just buy this and yeah. we're good. That that's, I just like that Debbie knows that she can do more but just saying you're a producer and not produce anything was really eating at her because that's not what she wanted she wanted to actually take action right uh and having like the gina davis character around basically kind of like show not show her the ropes but she sees what what can happen and the positives and negatives of that i i liked that element of the show 
Um, and I liked, I like as much as, as much as I feel like it's hackneyed to always do a Christmas Carol. I really liked the glow interpretation of this. It was a lot of fun with how they showed all of that. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time we actually get to like some wrestling stuff going on in the season's the last episode. Right. And, but Allison Bree sells it. And also, uh, Carmen sells the hell out of that match. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> um, it was great. I just, I, I agree with, with everything you're saying about like the time shift and some of the shortcutting of all the stories. Um, I will say that, for us coming at the end of this, wanting more is a good thing. Um, and being frustrated we didn't get enough is a good thing versus feeling like there's bloat, which can happen in some of these streaming series where they're like, oh, we have an episode count. We can just pad it out. However. Like, we need time. Um, so it's a nice change of pace to be like, I feel like they could have developed this more as opposed to we didn't. They gave us what? So... I, I like the season a great deal. You're right. I think it's my favorite one so far. And it's weird because it's the one with the least amount of wrestling in it. Yeah. But a way more nudity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which surprised me. Um, but <laughs> you watch community, right? Yeah. So there's the whole thing talking about Annie's boobs. And yeah. That, that was the name of the monkey, but it's like, no, nah, there's a lot of Annie's boobs in this series. I'm like, what is going on? There's, well, it's funny. We, there's no <laughs> monkey involved here. We call the dogs Annie, Annie's boobs sometimes, just simply because they'll uh, they'll hide something and we won't find it for like you know months at an end, and then simply it'll reappear. And we're like, where was that? And it's like, oh, Annie's boobs must have stole it. <laughs> so perfect. Yeah, um, yeah. Final thoughts on the season. I I really enjoyed it. I do think it's one of the best written shows, one of the best acted shows that's on TV right now. Um, I I hope we get many more seasons actually, and. You know, I don't know how many more seasons they can go as far as, you know, if they're trying to stick to the actual glow timeline. I mean, you know, but I think if they get their own station or or show again, they could probably squeeze easily another like three seasons out of it. I was going to say, you know, the arc's going to eventually be that it just it gets canceled. Right. Right. That's like the 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 show within a show. Um, and, And that's that's fine. I'm not saying that the journey's not worth it because the journey's been amazing so far and I've really liked it a great deal. Um, I can see if not one more season two, like me, I mean, I want, I want all of them. Keep, keep bringing it. Like, I don't care. Like break all of history, make low a thing that's happening now. I don't care. Um, as long as these, as long as these characters keep coming, you keep bringing me interesting and fun, like fun stories and make me love all of them because I don't think there's a character I dislike in the entire like cast. Um, there's times where I'm frustrated with them, but it's like character driven. Like we didn't even talk about like Cherry's um, like story about like debating about yeah. motherhood and, and with her husband and um, oh, what's his name? Oh, Keith. Sorry. Keith. And how like he, there's a moment when she's like, I don't know if I want to have a kid and how he just goes like zero to 60 to just destroyed. Like yeah. it's so like it, it means a lot, you know? And um, yeah, there's just a lot there that it's just, they're just, I, I want substance, and as much as this is all kind of sped up, this show has plenty of... For being a show about a fictional retelling of a short-lived phenomenon in which it was over-the-top women's wrestling in a time that none, none of that makes sense, I give a shit about everybody, and I give a shit about the show, and I love all the characters, and I and I am always I'm always like delighted by the comedy, 
and I'm always heartbroken by the drama. And that is, I think, the excellent marks of a good show. Like, and again, I know we put the spoiler thing up earlier, but if you guys have not watched any of this, and we, you know, we we've spoiled like some of the beats of the season. I don't think we've spoiled the show. Watch it. Just watch it because it's wonderful and it's it's worth your time. Yeah. I, I I have nothing more to add other than, yeah, I do, even for all my quibbling that I did, I do think it's one of the best TV shows of this season, of, of 2019. Um, and uh, hopefully it just keeps getting stronger. Yeah. So... All right, this this is going to color my um, experience because I'm going to, going to Vegas in like a month, so I'm going to go around and just uh, expect like uh, women wrestling. I'm going to expect um, horrible Asian stereotypes. <laughs> expect all. I'm going to expect all. I don't know. Well, um, the good news is you're not going in 1985. You're going in 2019. Yeah. I just I still need like here. Here's the one thing that I wish they'd carry forward from season one the robot that had all the drugs in it. I want the robot butler with all the drugs. That, that like... goes back to your Rocky Four fetish, though. You have <laughs> yeah. this whole thing about yeah. loving Rocky Four. Happy birthday, Polly. <laughs> 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 all right, so let's go do it for our talk about Glow Season 3. Um, if you guys want to give your thoughts about the series, that would be wonderful. You can find us on Facebook and Invasion of the Podcast. Uh, we do have... A website, um, you know, it's invasionthepodcast.com. It's where the blog is. Uh, I need to update it. I, I've, been, I've been bad about it. It's just, it's, I always feel like I hit this point of the year where it's like I'm running so hard that I hit, like, I hit the dirt. So yeah. I, I will have more canon films up there soon, uh, TBA. Uh, but you know, hope you can go read. I have a bunch of canned stuff up there. We have we have our year of the knockoff from the year before, and it's Gift City. If you like fun gifts, go check that out. And then before that, I have thirty write ups about westerns. So if you want to be bored by me gushing about westerns, then except for um, Shane, that movie, I, no, uh, or The Searchers, no. But you could go. Re- there's there's plenty of my horrible typing up there. So go check it out. It's Evasion of the Podcast. I'm holding my arm out like like I'm waving across <laughs> all of the Pride Lands. I'm like the the blog covers all of the land that the sun shines on. Um, yeah, and you can find us on iTunes. Sorry, Apple Music, uh, Google Google. Sorry, Apple Podcast, Google Music, Podbean, Stitcher, uh, local farmers markets, probably Family Dollar, wherever you find your podcasts. Like I'm, I'm sure we're in the dollar bin. Yeah, where it's like with all those like copies of like Thumbelina that are like you know a public domain. Like it's like oh, what's this? This also invasion of the podcast. Like why is this a dollar? It's 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 seven hours long, and all they talk about is like dogs and Spider Man. But you could you could find find us, rate and review us. That'd be great. And how can people find you, Steve, that doing much better work than this show? You can find me at the Saturday Night Slasher.com. You can also find me on Facebook and <laughs> Paul just let out this large belch and uh, interrupted my fine, fine pimping of the Saturday Night Slasher. But uh, uh, no, find me on Instagram and Facebook on the Saturday Night Slasher. And uh, we should have some announcements. We have uh, some conventions that we're going to be doing towards the end of the season. So this season, end of the year. But you're working cur- currently on, you guys are still working. Yeah, next issue, uh, a Siren Slasher, finally an issue two will be coming out hopefully by November. Okay, so, so I mean, so the story's set, you guys are just putting it together? Yeah, yeah. Um, the story's been set a long time. Well, no, 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 but I'm just saying in terms of like, like no. there's actually like pages done. Yeah, there's work you guys being are, done, okay, yeah. Okay. 
right. So uh, I'm to blame, not Ryan, on that one. But uh, no, it's exciting. Yeah, yeah there there'll yeah. be more coming, and and hopefully we'll keep that momentum up and keep going and and publishing regularly. I, I know I've asked this before, um, and you, you can just maybe not tell me. I just. Can I be killed in the science slasher? I keep asking for sure. Me. Okay, okay. I know there's only you know. I don't know if I'm an issue too, but I need to be killed. I need. Well, I need we'll fit to, you. Out, fit you in somewhere. Please, that would be amazing. Where he's like, I. I mean, I'll be easy kill. Like, there's no like, there's like. It, he, like it might even not even be Saturday. Maybe it's like, like Friday night going on the Saturday. Like he's just walking along. And he's just like, oh, bink, and I'm out. Like I'm out. Like it's fine. <laughs> like you know, like I get it. You know. Like I'm, I'm bending down to grab a white claw, and he just like, and I'm done. You know, like it's fine. <laughs> I, I just think that there's something cathartic if you, if you could see like how how you go out of this world. There's this moment of like, okay, well, I've accepted that. Like I feel like I feel like it's what like I guess in other cultures there's a thing too where they'll do like funerals for themselves before they leave so they mm-hmm. can see. Well, how people would feel about them? Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to know. No, but but kill me in the science slasher so that way I can just be like, well, I've seen me die. That's fine. Like as opposed, well, maybe maybe it's not him killing me. Maybe it's just me and my poor life choices. Like he walks by and I'm already dead. Like, <laughs> and he'd be like, oh, that's a life of full pop tarts and other things. And know? he just like, stabs <laughs> you with a machete to make sure that you're dead. Yeah, and it's just strawberry filling that comes out. <laughs> no. um, yeah. So no. All right. So. All right, since we've talked a lot about wrestling, we should probably talk some more about some wrestling. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> all righty, so the game that I've devised this evening is all a game of chance, but we're going to be creating an ultimate wrestler. Basically, what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to have Paul roll the dice and I've got uh, eight different attributes here that our ultimate wrestler is going to have, uh, and the roll of the dice is going to determine what this wrestler is. Okay, all right. All right. So, so category one. First category is we're going to find out if this character is male or female. All right. So I'm going to roll the dice. All right. Four. All righty. You got a four. So the character is a female. All right. That one was easy. All right, so second category here. Uh, this is uh, the, the first part of their name. There's there's two that are based on the name. So uh, if you roll a one, it'll be colossal. If you roll a two, it'll be fabulous. If you roll a three, it'll be ultimate. If you roll a four, it'll be ravishing. If you roll a five, it'll be gargantuan. And if you roll a six, it'll be titanic. So basically right. an adjective. Yeah, like you got you got to build some hype coming yeah. in, you know? Like so, all right. Two. Two. All right. So whoever this character is going to be, this wrestler, it's going to be fabulous. Fabulous. All right. All right. So like the, the second piece of the name. Uh, so it'll be either the fabulous, if you roll a one, Bay or B-A-E. It'll be number two. If you roll a two, it'll be the fabulous Pop Pop. If you roll a three, it'll be the fabulous American Mongrel. If you roll a four, it'll be the fabulous Sugar Smack. If you, <laughs> you roll a, a five, it'll be the fabulous Sugar Mama. And if you roll a, a six, it'll be the fabulous Yas Queen. Oh, I got, I need the Yas Queen. I need that right now. Come on. Six. Four. Oh, he rolls a four. Am I the so Sugar Smack? The Sugar 
Yes, the, the fabulous Sugar Smack is our wrestler's name. Uh, but but um, I, what was what was it? Sugar Smacks? Was it Diggum? Was yeah. that the frog? <laughs> All right. So the next one here, we're going to determine what kind of costume our our wrestler is going to be wearing. A large frog suit. <laughs> so uh, number, if you roll a one, it'll be a pink and green neon unitard. If you roll a two, it'll be a cowboy outfit. If you roll a three, it'll be overalls and a pitchfork. If you roll a four, it'll be a suspender and raccoon tail. Or suspenders and a raccoon tail. Uh, if you roll a five, it'll be a silver tuxedo. And if you roll a six, it'll be a hot dog costume. So the, we're recording this on uh, the 22nd of August, right? So I looked back. You know how Facebook likes, like, you have memories. It was like seven or eight years ago i was at denny's and there was a girl that was like waiting for a table that had a raccoon tail um where's where's my phone at uh you know what before we go any further i'm going to show steve the raccoon tail uh so that's very appropriate uh an omen if you will for the game yeah uh let's see here okay we're getting there we're getting there come on it, um, I, will, I will also point out something else that happened five years ago you'll appreciate. Um, oh, come on. I swear that was uh, t- today. Uh, maybe it just showed me for yesterday. Uh, but yeah, it was at Denise, and I'm like, and that's a tale. Um, so yeah, it a was, tale you'll be telling for many years yeah. to come. Also, five years ago, oh, as I roll the dice with my sweaty wrist, I was at the Cleveland uh, Zoo. Uh-huh. For their date night at the Zoovies. Nice. Um, what what happened there on August twenty second, uh, twenty fourteen? What does it say? I flipped off that elephant. <laughs> I made it a point to take photos of all the animals and just flip them off. There. Um, to say the least, Mary was frustrated with me because you buy a ticket to get into the zoo and they have like finger foods and candy and unlimited beer and wine. Oh wow! And I got ripped, and, <laughs> um, and like it was one of those, like so we ended up watching. Uh, they showed the Great Outdoors that night, uh-huh. and I just remember because they said they had the Elephant Crossing, which was new at that time, and they had um, like some of the. Um, Wait, what is that photo? Uh, Mary's riding a, like a, like an elephant. Okay, uh, and I, <laughs> I flipped off this elephant too. <laughs> yeah, um, it was, and they had the screen. They showed the film, but like so they had the screen uh at like they're one of their like like there's an overhead like uh uh roofed area for like a kid show but they had put the screen up to show the movie and so they had like a little like like amphitheater area sure like, and so behind that was all these stations set up like having popcorn and candy like they had like gummy sharks and twizzlers but like so this will be your phrase that let me let me state that that night was just adults only. So all these people, all these grownups, got to go have a bunch of candy and popcorn, and all these Great Lakes beer and wine. And I got ripped and just flipped off all the animals that night. <laughs> that, that is neither here nor there. And I was trying to show you a photo of someone wearing a tail, but that sounds like a one good time. time. Yeah. So anyway, um, let me roll the dice, and it's not me flipping off an elephant. Three. Alrighty, so our co- our character, our wrestler, if you will, is going to be wearing overalls and a pitchfork. That's about right. That's fine. Goes back to your southern roots. I, I'm not. <laughs> I said it only because I knew it was going to set him off. I apologize. I grew I'm up, stirring the pot. I, I grew up. 20 minutes south of the Mason Dixon. <laughs> I guess that makes me southern. <laughs> 
However, my state seceded from the South. So where am I at? I grew up in West Virginia. We left the South in 1863. I'm, uh, I'm sorry. I couldn't help it. It's. I know it's a hot button for you. I it's apologize. Just, it, everyone's just like, oh, you're from the South. I'm like, draw the Mason-Dixon out. So most of California Southern, like Texas, well, I guess Texas is Southern, but it's like most of Ohio Southern, like... I'm sorry. I can't, you don't I have can't, to apologize. I, I can't help myself. I'm sorry. Uh, All right. So you, you can't. Can you not hear my southern accent that I have? <laughs> so back to the game. Sorry. All righty. This is going on way too long. We're getting really late. I All apologize. Right. Yeah. So uh, the uh, if you roll a, f- uh, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, next thing is going to be we're going to pick a, a hairstyle for our wrestler. So if you roll a one, they're going to be shaved bald. Uh, if you roll a two, it's going to be a buzz cut. If you roll a three, it's going to be cornrows. If you roll a four, mullet. If you roll a five, it'll be bald with a mullet and a do-rag. <laughs> a la Hulk Hogan. And number six, 70s Farrah Fawcett. All right. Come on, Farrah Fawcett. Two. Two. Oh, buzz cut. A buzz cut. My female wrestler <laughs> with the bibbles. With uh, overalls, a pitchfork, and a buzz cut. Yeah. Alrighty, so the next part here. I feel like I'm like Ed Norton from like American History X right now. That's a, <laughs> like a female, like 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 Edina, like Edna Norton. But she's fabulous. So <laughs> the fabulous white supremacist. So this next one here, this is probably one of the most important categories for a wrestler. Uh, this is their grease level. I feel like every wrestler looks like they've been oiled up before they go into the yes. ring. Uh, so we're going to decide here uh, how much grease they'll have on them and to do that i use foods to basically decide what their grease level is so if you roll a one their grease level is basically just the chips from the bottom of a potato chip bag okay if you roll a two it's uh the amount of grease that comes from eating uh, movie theater popcorn yeah if uh they roll a three it's a slice of sparrow pizza <laughs> uh if you roll a four it's Basically anything from Cracker Barrel. Uh, <laughs> five, if uh, if you roll a five, it's County Fair French fries. And if you roll a six, it's a bucket of chicken from KFC. I appreciate that you referenced fair food and all that. Because that's a running theme on this show. Didn't make it to a fair yeah. this year. I'm pretty sure they're all over. Um, one night, I, we need to order um, banter, which is nearby. Have you? Have I talked about banter with you? There, I don't a, think so. They make they do poutine. Like okay. They do like the fries with the gravy and like other things, but they do also like corn dogs and stuff. Like they actually have a poutine special called the Pogo, that is fries with a corn dog on top of it, and Ooh, it's amazing. It sounds good. Yeah, it's decadent. So we got to order some fair food at some point. So I am hoping for no grease because this is disgusting. <laughs> Um, yes one oh chips from the bottom of a potato chip bag Um, there is a wrestler there's a professional wrestler aj styles which you may have heard of you may have but you probably other people have he's a wwe wrestler now one of the one direction right yes now um and if you look at him his hair doesn't have any grease it's very like free-flowing okay and everybody's asked him it's like well why don't you do the oily look he's like i always try to do something different than like the wet like sopping look so his hair is majestic it's okay. wonderful, and he just tries to go against type, and yeah. So I have AJ Styles' hair with my buzz cut. Nice. And my bibbles. Yeah. And being a lady, and am I fabulous? You are fabulous. Well, I am fabulous. All right. All right, we got two more categories to go here. So the next one here, we're picking out a catchphrase. 
So if you roll a one, it's uh, the catchphrase is going to be, that's what grandma said. <laughs> if you roll a two, it's uh, only the yet the best yeast becomes bread. <laughs> if you roll a three, it's true. <laughs> uh, I've got corn so big you can slap butter on them. If you roll a four, <laughs> if you roll a four, I, I only make these quizzes to amuse myself. Yeah. If you, uh, it's not even a quiz. These games. Uh, if you roll a four, it's uh, you must be this wide to ride. <laughs> Catchphrase. Oh no! <laughs> okay. Uh, if you roll a five, it's uh, Daddy never pisses off the good humor man. <laughs> I'm sorry. Please, what was that again? Daddy never pisses off the good humor man. Okay, that's true. I don't know why I find that one so funny. Uh, and I'm well, not that, drinking tonight, folks. No, I'm, I'm, I'm the drunk one, and I feel like you don't get bomb pops if uh, you piss off the good humor man. That's so, right. Yeah. Uh, and number six is, I put the U in hustle. Oh, I was hoping number six is, I flipped off that elephant. <laughs> I was hoping that's what that was. Or vultures are going to puke in your house. I don't know. All right, let's see what we got here. Those are all terrible, uh, terrible catchphrases. I think they're all on par with, can you smell what the rock's cooking? I I agree with that. I'm just saying they're terrible. All right, what we got here? Three. Three. So uh, I've got corn so big you can slap butter on them. How big does corn have to be? I'm sorry. <laughs> what's what's my finishing move then? Where it's like I've got corn so big you slap butter on them. What is that? What is that? A German suplex? What is that? Well, a figure four? It's it's funny you should say that. All right. So uh, this last category here is we're gonna figure out, figure out the signature move, the finishing move. It's the corn row. All right. So if you get a number one, it's the uh, possum pummel. If you get a two. It's the uh, and you can decide what these moves actually are. I just okay. came up with names for them. So if you roll a one, it's the possum pummel. If you roll a two, it's the bubblegut broadside. Bubblegut. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, people. No, uh, don't apologize. These are amazing and terrible. Uh, <laughs> number three is the flying ham bone. <laughs> <laughs> number four, or if you roll a four, it's the atomic pork chop. <laughs> Uh, number five, it's the sea leg spreader. <laughs> I think that should have been the other name for Aquaman. And if you roll a six, it's the uh, fat back splash. <laughs> fat back splash. Oh no! All right. Uh, I, only, I, I had I had I known this is what we're getting to, I would have stopped talking <laughs> way earlier. There's nothing worse than somebody who laughs at their own jokes, and I'm just no. I, every time we do a game, I'm always like laughing at how no, hilarious Steve, I think my things are. Steve, I've I've subje- uh, subjected oh. you to uh, like vacation Bible school names, Let's so <laughs> and I have cracked myself up, and I will still always hold. It wasn't for you. It was with with Joe with Camp Three Nails. Yeah, my favorite vacation Bible school name. So, all right, what we got here? Oh no! I hope I hope it's the fat back splash. I hope it is. It's five. It's not that. It is what. And I don't even know what this really means, but it's the sea leg spreader. (laughs) Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I feel like that's something that would like. uh, 
I don't know. Like, what would that even be? Spreading legs? Like, I feel like I feel like there's some kind of like like uh, submission lock. Well, you know? I originally I I had uh, originally thought it was going to be the chicken leg spreader, but uh, I was like, well, I'm like I've got too many like animals referenced here, so I, I'm going to pull that out. So I changed it to C. No, it's a submission hold, and it is. Um, it's awkward, and I'm a female wrestler already, so it's a sea leg spreader. So, yeah, you know, whatever. You know, you just got to just put people in awkward positions, and that's that. So, and after she she after she finishes it, she says, "I've got corn so big you can slap butter on them." <laughs> I, if no one else laughs at this, I am just happy that you laugh at this. <laughs> it, it tickles me. Oh, the show is nothing but trying. To I hope you guys myself. enjoyed this two and a half hour rant. <laughs> <laughs> this literally should just be like glow and then a lot of random crap <laughs> yeah um this episode may or may not be called sea leg spreader How about that? That or perhaps amazing. it could be called uh uh you know the fabulous sugar smack <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right, so yeah, that's that's my wrestler. I hope I hope somebody out there draws a representation of this. It'd be amazing. <laughs> um, I know I always joke when people say something awkward. I'm like, that's my stage name. So I've been called. I claim the name Meat Tornado, which is great. Nice. Um, oh, I, there's other one. There's other ones. I, I'm drunk and I can't remember, but um, I'm not drunk. I'm completely sober, and I, this is reasonable conversation. But yeah, I will take the the the, the sugar smack. Whatever it is, the honey smackums, the the fabulous sugar smacks, the fabulous sugar smack, yes, with my uh, finishing move, um, the, the, the sea leg spreader. spreader, and we got all the corn. So, <laughs> all right, um, yeah, that's that's the episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this journey to get to this point. I know I did. Uh, next week. Uh, we're going to continue our year of canon and talk about some Delta Force. So we have um, Chuck Norris, Lee Marvin, and it's directed by Menachem Golan. I think he makes people eat hot soup on the set. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Everyone's like, this is terrible. He's like, it's free soup. So it's going to be weird. And it is a, we just, we, when we talked about once upon a time in Hollywood, how it's like a, what if scenario. This oh, is did some, you, I forgot to mention, did you, did you catch the Canon reference in, uh, oh, we, I meant Glow? to talk about that where yeah. I was like, of course, Canon's going to ruin everything Yeah, because Ruth's boyfriend's like, oh, you know, Menachem Golan, the guy who made the apple, he's asked me to go do something. I'm like, don't do it. You know? So I just thought we were timely in the fact that we brought up the apple this year yeah, and watched I, it and it I, pops up on Glow. I, we did not mention it during the discussion I meant to. And it was funny. He was just like, the guy that made the apple. I'm like, that's not a good sign. And the fact that Cannon is driving a wedge into all this seems very appropriate. So, yes, thank you for remembering that. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but next week, we're continuing the year of Cannon, not the apple, Delta Force. And we're bringing friend friend of the show, Jeff Ritchie, on because it was his pick for this. So, uh, it's it, the, the, it'll be fun to talk about this uh weirdly like historically you know important film at the time because it was like feeding off all the hijacking things yeah uh it is it is weirdly racist because it's a canon film robert forrester yeah you're robert forrester but we got lee marvin we're going to talk about some lee marvin like the the hardest working drunk man in hollywood it's going to be it's going to be a I lot of that fun was oliver reed <laughs> well yeah, but Lee Marvin, <laughs> I mean, for goodness sakes, like he was so drunk, he fell off a horse during film of the Twilight Zone. And the person was like, we can't have him anymore. It's like, that's the star. He's like, oh, 
You know, so <laughs> Lee Marvin, complicated person. So Delta Force next week. I hope you guys check it out. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Until then, I, until next week, have a safe week. And um, I don't know. Um, I, I got I got nothing. Avoid the sea leg spreader or whatever it was called. Stay well, away from the sea leg spreader. <laughs> <laughs>